You're listening to an Indiesaurus production. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of New Nintendo Podcast XL. As always, I'm your host, Brennan Hoff, and it's Goaty season. That's right, Game of the Year. The first time ever that this show has done a Game of the Year episode. And uh, originally I was going to do this alone, but not anymore. I have two very special guests. Uh, First, as always, uh, he's back once again it's uh, the one, the only, Dylan Flynn. Dylan, welcome back to the show. Brandon, it's a pleasure to be here tonight in the year where video games took over the world. <laughs> Seems like it. This year was a real, real knockout. Uh, Not only with the excellent titles that wowed critics and fans, but also at your local multiplex and prestige drama television shows. That is that is true. That is true. There was uh Thanks for it wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't just uh it wasn't just uh video video games but movies such as uh Super Mario Brothers and mm. uh The Last of Us show. That's right. I kind of no lie, I kind of forgot that those happened this year cuz And you fully forgot like, that Gran Turismo happened. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately memory all that. Oh yeah, I. Those words that you just said, like I after this has been recorded, I will immediately forget that uh, there was a Gran Turismo movie. They loaded um, those reels off of the trucks and then straight into one of those crazy crushing machines where the gears go back and forth to like you know crush things down into some sort of a, a pneumatic tube. Yeah, so they didn't even, it wasn't like they shaped it into, like, ready-to-go Blu-rays. It was just like, okay, the movie's done. Yeah, right right into the compactor. (laughs) Uh, But also, uh, I want to welcome a new face to the program. Uh, 
Ryan Hughes, first time on the show. Welcome, Ryan, to uh, New Nintendo Podcast XL. Thank you, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I don't know anything about movies or television or whatever you guys are talking about. I only know three things. Eat, sleep, and Fortnite. Oh, man. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? So, is it is it fair to say, then, that your number one, like, spoiler, is going to be Fortnite for, oh. like, the seventh year in, in a row? We'll see when is we that... get there. You know, I want to s- keep people on the edge of their seats. Mm. Mm. Keep okay. it close to the mm. chest like one might do with body armor in Fortnite. That's exactly right. I see I'm talking to a, a, a cultural expert here. Is this really the first time you've been on NNPXL, Ryan? That seems uh, hard to b- fathom to me. I, I think I was on... No, we talked about maybe doing a Fire Emblem Engage episode, but we didn't actually yeah, do it. Yeah, we, we've talked about actually doing several episodes and then just never materialized, but I would yeah. love to have you on for a, a deep dive into a game at, at some point. Uh, but gentlemen, we're not here to just talk about one game. We're here to talk about several games. Oh, man. In fact, 10, um, plus a couple honor- honorable mentions and things like that. So he- here's the breakdown. Uh we're going to talk about our top 10 games of the year. Before we do that, we're going to get into a little bit of honorable mentions or games that we wished we played uh, mm. just to kind of give them a little bit of a spotlight. And then we're going to do a, a round robin style of discussing uh, each of our top 10 games. And with the caveat that if somebody mentions a game and it is higher on someone else else's list, we will table that discussion until we get to its highest marker on really anybody's list that way that we can kind of give it more time and more uh add more to the conversation as it were um because i imagine that we're all going to have similar picks on our list but there's going to be some variances and differences and uh things of that nature um but uh let's just get right into it let's start off with honorable mentions slash before we, that, this is my classic move where I say, before we do the thing we're here to do, I have a question for everybody, which is, okay. a, which is, I, I've been thinking about this a lot today. Have there been other years in your life you think where you have beaten 10 video games that came out in that same calendar year? I don't, I think this might be the first time I've ever done this. And I, I have like 17, I've conquered like 17 games this year. I, I think for me, this is the first time in a while where I have played at least 10 new games. Right. Not, that's, not count, that's not counting replays of anything. Because if I look back my, at my list, I've played a total of 33 games. But a majority of those were replays of Zelda. Uh, so for me... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, given... you go back, you do, a, you do an old classic. But I'm talking about it's from January to December, something that came out that calendar year, beat 10 different games. I feel like I haven't done it before this year. I, I probably I, I feel like pulled I... that off in 2020 just because there was nothing else to do. That makes sense. Inside. Yeah. That makes I sense. would say that that year might have been the closest. But, you know, this might have been the year, despite the fact given of, like, you know, kind of where I'm at in life and just like, you know, being a father and like not having as much time to game, I've managed to play at least, at least a 10, if not more games uh, that were new. 
yeah, and and beat to 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 the point where I've rolled credits. So that's not saying I've completed a hundred percent game, a hundred percent most of these games, but I managed to hit credits at least once. So completionism is uh, it's a it's a, a trap for fools and philanthropy squanderers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anybody's name. I'm not in legal trouble for saying that. No, no, that's that's fine. Uh, now, you, but you've conjured up that in, image of of them in Sea of Stars asking about uh, right. Donations. Any more uh, any more schematics for me? <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into those honorable mentions slash uh, games that we wish we could we could have played or but maybe we didn't just due to time constraints or whatever. Sure. Um, We'll start with uh, Ryan. Uh, are there any games that you haven't played or maybe played a little bit of but didn't finish or just any any kind of honorable mentions before we get into the, the top ten proper? Uh, so I want, I'm going to mention three games, one of which I completed but is not on my list, one of which cannot be completed, and one of which I did not get the chance to play. Uh, the one I did not get a chance to play is Armored Core 6 fires of rubicon mm -hmm. mm. uh, which looks right up my alley has a really sick visual style and is apparently hard as hell and is one of many games this year to utilize the the trick of new game pluses being radically different experiences totally um, yeah which is always really cool and just seems like a lot of fun to play and master and deal with those you know, classic from software boss fights, and I just haven't gotten around to it. But maybe next year. Yeah, that's, the, the that's 2023 one. backlog is going to be a big theme of the next year. I feel like you know? I have a feeling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the one that I could complete would be uh, Bayonetta Origins: Cereza and the Lost. Oh, didn't Demon. make the ten. I'm shocked. I thought it would. Didn't make the ten. Uh, but a great tough game. year. Tough it's, year. Really good looking. It's got a gorgeous style to it, a great soundtrack, and Platinum managed to change up everything about the core Bayonetta gameplay while still having it feel like Bayonetta and still be a fun action game, even though most of the time you're doing Zelda style exploring of environments, finding new items and abilities to go back and unlock new areas. It was just a lovely, really charming time. It wasn't super long. I had a great time with it. Yeah, that's a that's a game that I <clears throat> was gonna be also talk about my honorable mentions. I uh, started playing it uh, a couple days ago and then got super duper sidetracked by another game that made that made to my list. Uh, and I'll probably go back to it and hopefully finish it by the end of this year. But yeah, it game looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the soundtrack's fantastic and. Yeah, just uh, good, good top-down action uh, game with some very unique uh, controls. It, it feels like the game that, you know, in 10 years when all the Nintendo YouTubers are doing their here's the top 10 most underrated Nintendo Switch gems. Like, that yeah, feels yeah, like yeah, a game yeah. that's going to be in the top five on all of those lists. Mm -hmm. oh, and I could, my I could, third I see that. honorable mention has to go to Lethal Company. Hell oh, yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. That game is so good. It's so fun. 
I, I've played, according to my Steam, 17 hours of this game already, just goofing Holy around shit. with my friends. Nice, dude. And that's like every that's, that's significant numbers for a multiplayer casual jump on and do a thing game. Yeah, and especially one that really doesn't have any progression or end goal. Yeah, that's it's... the thing. Like, you can't really. I mean, I'm assuming you can access credits from the main menu. <laughs> But I, it's a one-man project, so yeah, I don't yeah, even know yeah. if you can. <laughs> but it's it's a blast to play with friends. Just hop in, play you know twenty, thirty minutes or so of the game, and someone will be screaming, someone will be laughing. It's always a good time. Yeah, absolutely fantastic, fun game. Uh, I definitely want to play it more. I've only played it uh, twice so far, but. Um, the times I played were both with Ryan and it was just fantastic. I can't uh, wait to see where it goes because we already yeah. know they're putting six months at least of like support and adding new enemies and progression types into the game. I feel like by the time they're finished, you know, turning it into a full package, it could be something really special. Totally. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Uh, Dylan, it is now your turn. Uh, what are some honorable mentions or games that you didn't play but wish you would have played uh, in the in the year of our Lord, uh, 2023? So the thing that I did not even touch that uh, I know for sure that I will at some point be picking up probably on a sale and like playing through the story mode and fucking around with the online a little bit is definitely Mortal Kombat 1. Um you know, I, I hear it's sort of a, a step down from 11, and uh, that makes sense because that game was amazing. Uh, and But, I mean, you know, same team. Those guys have been doing some really fun stuff with that IP. I definitely, I'll definitely be playing through that at some point in the future. Uh, in terms of my in-progress, I kind of want to focus on games that I don't think are going to be talked about on this episode anywhere else. Um because I mean, I think some of the stuff that I have that I haven't beaten yet, and some of the stuff that I have beaten but just missed my list, I think some of those might get brought up at other points in this episode. So I don't really want to like gild the lily with that. But mm-hmm. uh, in terms of something that I'm in the middle of, I, I'm I'm about 15 hours into Star Ocean, the second story R, and I like for sure will be playing through that game. That game was a really big deal to me in the PSP era. That's when I played it on my PSP. And uh, I'm picking it up again, boy, it's it's clear that part of the reason I loved that game was uh, I had absolutely infinite time and so much depression and no responsibilities because that game is like an absolute sea of content and mechanics and systems. Like not only can you use your battle points to like tone your, your uh, characters in battle skills and like uh, their attributes, but then you've got this whole other, like raise their uh, uh, piety and that will make them better at uh, alchemy. And then you can level up their alchemy and that will make it better at making higher quality stones. And then you can raise their uh, jewelry making and, and their aesthetic sense. And like, so it's just like a fucking a quicksand hole of shit to do. Uh, but it's still great and it looks amazing. I love the kind of, I guess they weren't calling it HD 2D. They were giving it some other name because they're doing like a lot of polygonal stuff as well. Um, yeah. 
I but had looks... a, a friend of mine call it like the the a PS one era equivalent of like the HD two D style. Yeah, totally. The 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 sixteen the thirty two bit era's version of that. Uh, and I mean, like that stuff's all still great. The setting and the concept is still a lot of fun. The writing's a little dated. The voice acting is a little dated. But you know, what are you gonna do? Um, I'll definitely be circling back around to finish that. Uh, just almost definitely not before the end of the year. There's just too goddamn much to do in that game. Um, and then one that I beat that didn't make my list. I'd like to take a minute to talk about Dave the Diver, which I did get to uh, end credits on, and is sort of like <clears throat> I don't know what do you, I, I, what do you get what do you guys get the sense of is Dave the Diver kind of like a maybe kind of a front runner in the in the Game Awards indie consideration currently. It kind of seems like it might be. It seems like the indie game of 2023, and I know pretty much nothing about it, which I think says a lot about how relatively little impact indie games had in 2023 compared to recent years where you had stuff like Hades and Hollow Knight coming out and Neon White. It seemed like a much smaller year for indie titles. It didn't do that, and it's not the indie game of the year, in my opinion, which I'm sure we'll both be talking about Brandon later in the uh, episode, mm-hmm. uh, but it is—it's an awfully interesting and unique game where it's sort of the—it's this very odd loop of uh, diving out of a boat and <clears throat> scuba diving underwater with a harpoon gun to uh, like find treasures and catch fish, and then that's the day cycle, and then at night. It becomes a restaurant management sim where you run the sushi restaurant and like make dishes with all the stuff you caught, but it's always throwing curveballs at you. And suddenly you'll be playing a cooking mama sort of uh, style mini game, or you'll be playing a DDR thing, or you'll be doing some kind of weird. Uh, seems like a, a mini game you would have played on the on the DS to like you know uh, use a. a, a welding gun to open up uh, the side of a, a steel they're always just throwing all these there's a metal gear solid pastiche section they're always throwing these weird curveballs at you and it's got really beautiful pixel art animation and the the only thing that keeps it off my list is it's one of these examples of a game where you can tell so much care and so much love has gone into it and it would totally be if somebody told me that's my favorite game of the year i'd be like i yeah i totally get it it's really high quality I just don't love that kind of like grew out of new ground style of we have 15 game styles in one game and like we have kind of internet anime nerd humor and so it just sort of it kept felt feeling like this is all high quality it's just not quite my bag um but it's really nice it's got a good jazz soundtrack and uh it feels pretty good it looks good um, but just not, yeah, I don't know. Have you ever had an experience like that where you're playing a thing where you're like, this is obviously extremely high quality, but it's not really my thing. Yeah, I have, I can't really point to any recent, uh, examples of it. Um, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the, in the, in a similar boat where it's like, I can't remember the last time I played something where it's obviously like I'm having a really good time, but it's not fully hooking me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I understand where, you, where you're coming from. I saw it through uh, to the end. So it was a, it was a high enough quality experience. That's the other thing. Like 
if they're throwing a weird racing mini game at you, if they're throwing a weird whatever at you, they've put enough care into making it feel good every time that you're not like, this is fucking bullshit. Why am I doing this? This sucks. Mm -hmm. it, it's always yeah. like nicely tuned. Everybody did a really good job on it. So yeah, I definitely think if you're hearing me describe Dave the Diver and it sounds like something that is up your alley, then why, don't walk, run. It's, it's a, a really accomplished thing. It's it's on my wish list. Um, I've heard a few people sing its its praises, um, and it wouldn't surprise me if it does get the indie of the year uh, at uh, the Game Awards. But uh, you know, it's we'll see, we'll see. There, yeah, yeah, to you. me, there's a few other indies that came out that were really, really good in my opinion. Uh, I have a few uh, honorable mentions slash games that. I wish I would have played, but didn't. Um, already mentioned Bayonetta, so I will not talk about that one. Um, I want to talk about Dredge a little bit. Uh, I know. Oh, this I game should was tell vibing. you, Brandon. I I've now played another. I think about two and a half hours of Dredge, and I'm I'm much more invested in it than I was. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, I'll probably be finishing so, that. I it's not super long. I think it's roughly five to six hours total. Um, Generally, it's a story about fishing. Um, you kind of find yourself uh, waking up in a town and you don't quite remember how you got there. I think it was like a wreck or something that caused your ship to uh, have you wash up on shore. And basically, you are fishing throughout the game and you um, are finding ways to upgrade your uh, your ship essentially and get better equipment. And that's, that's essentially the loop. And there's like four main areas uh, with different environments and different fish to catch and yada, yada, yada. Uh, there is a story to it, uh, but it's more like through like the items that you get and like the people that you interact with over time. And um, I, I ended up enjoying it a lot. Uh, you know, like I said, it wasn't super duper long, I had, but I had a really good time with it. Um, the other game I want to mention that I did play. If I can just complete... throw something out about Dredge before you move on from it. It also, uh, yeah. something I wasn't expecting about it is it goes for like a, almost like a gothic horror feeling, you know, like mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. at nighttime, it's super creepy and atmospheric. There's like some really good dialogue writing for the townspeople that feel kind of, yeah, Lovecraftian or, or Poe or whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems like a it seems like a pretty cool experience. I don't love like the feel of the game that much, but the loop is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, you catch the fish, you uh, salvage try to do it. stuff. Yep. Uh, salvage stuff, upgrade your ship, do that over again. And yeah, like Dylan said, there's a there's a bit of a Lovecraftian undercurrent to the game that the further in you get, the more of that sort of reveals itself to you and. And it's 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 good. Um, the other game that I want to talk about be that I did complete um, was this game called In Stars and Time. Uh, it is an RPG, and the conceit is that you are uh, named this this little dude named Sifrin, and you're with your party. You're in the final town. It's the day before the final boss fight uh, in the final dungeon. So, like, you guys are already all 45, like, level 45, and you uh, start making your way through this uh, this final dungeon, 
and uh, then you die. Uh, and then the game loops you back to the beginning uh, as if nothing ever happened. And it loops you back to the day before. And so the gameplay, the RPG like mechanics of it is pretty simple. It's like based off this rock, paper, scissors uh, style of uh, gameplay. So it's like the enemies always have their hands either in a rock, paper, or scissor form. And then based off that, you can attack with your various uh, characters. Uh, but the real game is figuring out how to make your way through the dungeon, through the loops to get to the final boss. Um, and then things get crazy beyond that. Um, I won't go into too much spoilers, but uh, it's very narrative heavy. Um, and if you like games like Undertale and similar stuff of that that vibe, I encourage you check, to check it out. The looping can get a little bit repetitive because you can, like kind of end up doing the same things over and over and over again but there's ways to sort of like mitigate that in some instances um but you will be finding yourself like kind of doing the same things over and over um with minor tweaks to the dialogue and things like that so um i think if that sounds up your alley definitely check it out interesting um, art style it's like black and yeah. white but it kind of looks kind of rebecca sugary post steven university style mm -hmm. yeah yeah, um, definitely, like I said, if you're into, like, stuff like Undertale and all that jazz, like, I think this would be a perfect game for you to, to check out. Check it out. It's a lot of, there's a lot of queer representation in that, in, in that, so if you're looking for that, like, look no further in Stars in Time. It's, there it's it is. Of that. Um, and then I just want to shout out Octopath Traveler 2 because it doesn't seem to be, I'm sure other folks will be talking about it later. Uh, I have a copy of it from the library. I have every intention of playing it. But I haven't played it yet. It's a game that I kind of wish I would have got to a little bit sooner. But it seems like a lot of people who really love RPGs are saying this is one of the best of the year. That would have um, been the one that I highlighted for the thing I didn't touch I wanted to play most. But I feel like it's probably going to be talked about on this episode, so I didn't mm -hmm. bother. Yeah. Um, any more Any more honorable mentions? Anything else that you guys want to say before we kind of just dive into... Can I, can I briefly say what the two worst games I played this year were? <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Yeah, one of them was Forspoken. Does anybody remember Forspoken <laughs> from the team that brought you Final Fantasy XV? Uh, is there a freaking dragon right behind me? I, uh, from that, yeah. I, I will never forget that for that that reason. Like, that game's existence is embedded in me because of that that line. Yeah, I beat that game. It's, it's like, mechanics-wise, it's not awful, uh, the writing is so bad, and I mean, like, you know, it wears it on his sleeve. The movement's kind of cool. I, I just think you gotta, you gotta take that Final Fantasy 15 team and be like, okay, guys, you, you, you are not writing any games anymore. If you want to make a, <laughs> an action system for a game, go for it. But you gotta get yeah. other people writing your games. You can't. We can't <laughs> put out product that's like this. Uh, and then along that same, uh exact same tone i also just a couple of days yesterday i believe uh beat the game viewfinder which is nominated for best indie and best debut indie at the game awards on thursday and uh it was kind of it was sort of heralded and perhaps even billed by its creators as like a, if you like portal if you like portal you have got to play viewfinder it's gonna fucking bend your mind and like it is like it's so 
portal if it sucked. Like it's it's real janky. The the like tech that's in the in the guts of it is kind of cool, which is it's mostly based around this idea that you have a camera, you take a picture of something, then you hold the picture up and then it kind of creates that image in 3D in front of you. Uh, and it, you know, the, it's, it's a cool looking thing when you do it, there's a handful of moments in that game that are like, oh wow, what a cool mechanic. But half of them are undercut by the fact that there's a character in that game, uh, named Jesse, who is like in constant communication with you. And she's a Marvel core, uh, extremely cringily written character. So like you might have a subtle moment where you're like, wow, they did like a Trump blow in real life and now I'm walking on it or whatever. But then she'll be chiming in going like, um, freaking mind officially blown. And you're like, wow. Okay. So now I feel nothing but irritation <laughs> because you said that. And like, even after they table that character after a while, thankfully they table that character after a while, then they start telegraphing this, like, this thing you're looking for, it might not work out how you think so. And then, like, you get to that moment, and it doesn't work, and they treat it like it's this huge, emotionally devastating twist. And, like, it's clear that the, that the people who wrote this game was who was ever on this indie game staff that owned a copy of Final Draft. Like, it's not, it's a badly written game. And, like... The puzzles, there are some good, but the difficulty progression is extremely uneven. Just don't get wowed by this whole, it's Portal the indie. Because, like, Portal is an immaculately written and constructed experience. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the worst thing you could do to a game like Viewfinder is give people that sort of expectation going into it. Holy shit, no, it's not anything like Portal. Portal is great. Wow, sounds like they should have called it Boo Found. Boo finder. And oh boy! Them here. Both barrels from Ryan. Jesus Christ! Are you sure you don't want Got us to him. cut that out? That was pretty incendiary. <laughs> More like poo finder because it's crap. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> Somebody stop this guy. He's one comment away from crossing the line. More like snooze finder because it put me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my okay, God. I don't think I have anything else like that I really need to say. Finder, it made me want to we got punch it. We my got wife. It. We got it. <laughs> what? You, you don't have a wife. And also, uh, you know, look inside yourself and put violence down. What? A, what about you, Ryan? Was there? <laughs> Ryan, was there any any uh, was there any game like bad games that you played this year? Do you mostly stick uh, to? The I good feel ones? like it's not really fair for me to talk about this, but I'm gonna talk about it anyway. I played a couple hours of Starfield uh, this year. <laughs> sure. I beat Starfield. It's not on my list, but go and, ahead. And uh, it ran really poorly for me on PC, so I had to drop it. And I'm not really holding that against the game. It, it, it's a new game. I have an old computer. I'm not going to raise a fit about, why doesn't it run for me on my 1080 graphics card? Because, because obviously it wouldn't run for me on my 1080 graphics card. But what I did manage to experience was very rote. It was a lot of like, you know, when you play a Bethesda Studios game, the joy is in walking around and finding cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And it felt like there was almost none of that in this game, because if you're going to try to explore things, 
you're going to find the same copy-pasted outpost with nothing interesting in it over and over and over again. The real meat of that game seems to be in the quests, which is fine, but don't bill your game as a big space exploration game if space exploration is the least like interesting part of it. I think that's fair. I beat Starfield, and I feel that it's a, it's a game that has had some really fundamental uh foundational problems in terms of its loop and its focuses there's uh there are handfuls of moments in that game that i think are kind of sublime i think that's a better game than fallout 4 uh personally was not a huge fan of fallout 4 but in terms of bethesda softworks put it you know being this like uh oh i can't wait for their next game thing i think we like we've officially this year was a really great illustration of like maybe that was a thing that was true in 2010 and is just very not true anymore. Yeah, I started Starfield to the, and I got to the point where I got it to the like first big planet and then I stopped and then I haven't touched it since. It's not that I don't want to go back to it necessarily, but it hasn't, gotten me like other Bethesda games like Fallout 3 or Skyrim or right. like New Vegas or anything like that you know so it's I, got I'm one... hesitant yeah go for it I was just saying I, I am hesitant to to go back to it necessarily it has one insanely sick side quest one really really good uh, faction quest line and one story mission that was really astounding and the rest of it, like Ryan said, was just kind of not super engaging. Uh, I think the base building is shockingly one of the strongest things about that game and probably shouldn't be. Like, it's clear that so much work went into the base building and production of resource stuff. And, like, you can get lost in that content, but, like, why is that so deep and so much of the experience is so shallow? Um and also the ship, ship building is really good too. And also New Game Plus is legitimately cool. The New Game Plus gimmick in that game is legitimately really unique and interesting. And I could see how it would serve a different game to be a thing that people would play for years and years. But uh, I think that the world of Starfield is just not quite engaging enough to want to do that, really. Uh, Dylan, with these thoughts in mind, do you think Bethesda's next game should be a roller coaster tycoon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure or just make the elder scrolls 6 like a fucking resource gathering real-time strategy game yeah yep. why not hell yeah hell yeah uh real quick before we do get in our top 10 there's one other game i wanted to mention just real quick it's a game mm. that i did start i didn't finish it's in progress i still would like to finish it and that is lies of p yes. um yeah. if you want to if you want to play a slower Bloodborne, that's the game for you with with puppets. Slower Bloodborne with puppets. That's how I'll pitch it, and I'll leave it at that. It's it's pretty now, good. I'm interested, but can you confirm <clears> me? <throat> is the puppet that you play as perhaps a twink? Mm. Uh, it, you you know it's 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 hard to say. I mean, he definitely has that that Timothy Chalamet like look going for him. It's a yes or no question, uh, my friend. I'll you know. I'm I'm gonna say yes, but you know I'll leave it up to the player's interpretation. Mm. But all right, I'll be he, signing up for Game Pass immediately. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, okay. Now here it is: the main event, <laughs> new Nintendo Podcast XL, 
top 10 games of the year from three panelists. Their list may be different, but they all love one thing, the game. All right. We'll start off with we'll start off with uh Dylan, what is your top 10? Okay, my number 10 favorite game of the year. It's fallen a little bit in the last week as I've pondered this list. Uh, but still a game I really enjoyed. Diablo 4 is my number 10 of the year. Um, I think the reason it kind of got wedged out of the middle of this list and ended up on the end is that mechanically, if you've played Diablo's 1 through 3, boy, you will know what to expect. It's, it's, they have not shaken, uh, they have not rocked the boat in in a significant way. But why I loved it so much had much less to do with the loot grinding and the dungeoneering and all that stuff and so much more to do with the writing, which is something I can't believe I'm saying about an EA or an Activision Blizzard or who put, yeah, Activision Blizzard game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, God, it's fucking metal as hell, dude. They're constantly throwing these, like, great satanic corruption uh, gothic horror ideas at you and it's like, very Clive Barker, very body horror. The the idea of demons, you know, uh, fucking up the lives of unsuspected innocent villagers. It's just like there's some great, really uh, atmospheric writing in it, and it's so fun and funny and weird and campy and cool. And I the the cinematics. There's a huge one at the beginning at the end that are like so splendidly beautiful. Some of the most beautiful pre-rendered animation I've like ever seen in any medium. Um, so yeah, for those reasons, it's for sure a top 10 of the year. I just think, you know, I, I like, I enjoy the meditatively repetitive action RPG of a Diablo game, but this was a tough ass year with a lot of incredibly great games to play. So, you know, for that reason, it's settled down here at the bottom of my list. I do recommend it though. If anybody is interested in the IP likes that style of horror and uh, is amenable to a loot grindy action RPG. I think it's, I, st- I, I know the the community has its nitpicks, but if you don't get into all that shit about balance or whatever, uh, I think it's a lot of fun to, to play through Diablo four, just for that story alone. I've been, it's one that's been on my radar to, to check out and I'm waiting for a, a fairly good steam sale before I pick it up, but it's, it'll it's go down dirt cheap. You know, it will. I mean, like eventually mm-hmm. this yeah. thing's going to go down at least to <clears throat> 1999. So I think at that price, it's a great scoop for sure. Yeah. I, I did not play this one. Otherwise, Ryan, did you play Diablo four? I did not play Diablo four. I am very interested in it. Just from hearing Dylan talk about the writing, it seems like you're always going to be, you know, entertained. Not even necessarily from the gameplay, which does seem good, but from the scenarios and the dialogue and the performances, it all seems very cool and interesting in a way that not a lot of games are doing. Cool is a good cool. word for it. Yeah, it's like it's Hell the seventeen-year-old yeah. in me was like, "Oh, it's fucking rad." Hell yeah, Orion. What is your number 10? My number 10 is Amnesia the Bunker. Oh, sick. I didn't see this coming Hell at all. Yeah. Tell us about it. So uh, this was on Game Pass. I don't know if it's still there, but that's how I played it. Um, Amnesia the Bunker is from Frictional Games, who made the first Amnesia game. They made 
Uh, Soma, which I think is one of the best horror games of the last 10 or so years. It's a fantastic game. And then just a couple years ago, they put out Amnesia Rebirth, which I picked up sight unseen on the strength of Soma and thought it was terrible. I had a miserable time with it. One of the worst games I've ever played. Were they not involved with a machine for pigs? Uh, they were not. I think uh, the Chinese room made that pretty much. It's a really good title. By themselves. <laughs> very good very, title, It's yeah. a striking, evocative title. I've always been drawn to that title. Uh, uh, as for The Bunker, I was planning on skipping it at first just because I had such a bad time with Rebirth. And then I looked into some of what they were doing with this game, and I was very interested. All of uh, Frictional's games to this point have been sort of like walking simulators with puzzles and roaming enemies in them. You walk through an area and it's spooky, you pick up notes, you learn about the lore, you have to find an item and bring it to another spot to open And there's a, door. a fucked up nightmare thing wandering around. Yeah, and there's a fucked up you know, nightmare thing wandering around that wants to kill you. Um, the bunker takes very obvious and direct inspiration from like the first Resident Evil game. Uh, it takes place in a bunker in, I think, World War One. It might be World oh, War Two. Cool. I can't remember. Where you're a soldier in what I think is the French army, and you wake up after being wounded in combat in your like med bay, and you walk outside, and every other person in your bunker is dead. The way out of the bunker has been blocked by rubble, and there is some sort of singular horrible thing in the bunker like crawling around inside of the walls killing off people one by one uh, locating you based on sound and the game sort of real quick you get a gun you get a safe room uh, the one safe room in the game pretty much and you get the objective of Opening the way out, you have to find two specific items, uh, dynamite and then a detonator to open up the way out of the bunker. And then the game just sort of says, all right, go find them. And you get to explore this bunker, like one area at a time, solving puzzles, um, fighting enemies like, you know, poisonous rats and stuff. And then, you know, a lot of the puzzles you have to solve, you're going to be making noise. Like, oh, I have to open this door. I can either scrounge around the world to try to find the key. I can blow up the door with a grenade. I can shoot a lock from a viewpoint on the other side of the door that can allow me to open it and access it. It's really wide open, and it kind of has inspiration from uh, arcane games like Dishonored and Prey, where there are more than one approach to every sort of objective you can do. And it sounds like they kind of went kind of minimalist too with the with the. I don't know, like, yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of a very small... It doesn't seem like it's super long, right? It's like five no, or it's, six I had, hours. No, I think I completed it in about five hours or so. It may have been mm. four. Um, and they're really pro speedrun for the game. Like, I think I've seen people beat it in as little as 20 minutes. It's probably much less than that now. Um, but, you know, as you progress, the demon in the walls is going to come try to get you. And it's actually really scary. It's got good AI, it, and the sound design is fantastic in the game. I've always thought that was one of the most important parts of any horror game, and Frictional are very good at it. 
and it's the best here. You're constantly hearing it slithering through the walls, little sounds happening all around you to keep you on edge. Um, and my favorite little bit is every, like, two to three to minutes or so, you will just hear a giant explosion go off overhead on the battlefield that shakes <laughs> the entire bunker you're Love in. Love that <laughs> setting. What a cool setting it's for a horror so, game. Yeah. Basically, you're getting RNG audio jump scares constantly. Love that. So That's you're great. You're always on edge as you're exploring this place. There's a lot of interesting puzzles. There's total player freedom. Um, it's just a really good classic survival horror game. And I was really glad to see Frictional branch out and do something very new for them after their last game was the game we've been making for 10 years, but really bad. Yeah, it also sounds like they might have maybe taken a couple of cues from like Alien Isolation in terms of isolated in a in a in a closed environment with a single uh scary thing and definitely you know. i'd say the first half or so of alien isolation where it's just you with like one gun trying to find your way out of the ship is very much what this whole game is cool hell yeah um Amnesia the Bunker still is on Game Pass, as well as Rebirth, as well as Soma, as well as Amnesia Collection, which is like the first ones. I have the collection on my Switch. Um, these are games that I've been meaning. They've been in my backlog for a long time. I've been meaning to check them out. But so to hear you talk about the Bunker has me really interested in in checking that one out now. I think the Dark sure. Descent is worth playing just as from, from like a historical like. This is a game that really influenced the horror game genre at the time. Mm -hmm. It was a big deal. You can kind of go back to it and see what it sort of kicked off. I don't think it's a super good game on its own, um, but it's worth playing for that historical value, I for think. The... I think Soma sure. and Rebirth are their real champ. Not Rebirth, sorry. Soma and The Bunker are their two best projects. For cool. sure, for sure. So my number 10... Uh, was a little game that was pitched to me yesterday, and I played it at one sitting because it's not super duper long. Uh, my number ten is Cocoon. Well, but, hey, you're, you're going to have to table that till uh, yeah. right now <laughs> because <laughs> guess what? My number nine is Cocoon. So, and I'm hell yeah. <laughs> So let's uh, let's talk about Cocoon a little bit, Dylan. Um, yeah, dude. You, kind you of, pitched kind this... of hard to talk about in a way, right? Because it's like a post-verbal experience in a way. <laughs> yeah, there is zero dialogue throughout the entire game. Um, you use you use the A button and you use the control stick, and that's it. That is it. They could have maybe they could have made jumping into the orbs like a little snappier by making you use a second button to do it, but it's clear they wanted to really show off their game design big dicks and be like, one button, one stick, have at it, everybody. Uh, and it's definitely like, I would call this like your, some real game design porn. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's all about non-verbally cueing the player with visuals in order to teach them mechanics it asks you to think. I would say that there was one puzzle where the queuing was not as good as I would have wanted it to be, and I got stuck longer than I needed mm -hmm. to be on it. Yeah, uh, but I other had than situations that, like that. Other than that, I felt like uh, it, I, I, my, my 
effort was always rewarded. The puzzles were really unique and interesting. Some of them were brilliant. And sometimes it would throw a new mechanic your way that was truly and kind of effortlessly and elegantly mind-bending in a way where you were like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. blown. (laughs) I know Jessie needed to come on in. She needed to butt in on, on Cocoon with her comm link to tell me that, like, uh, did that really just happen? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, I would hold it up there in terms of your portals just as a really uh, elegantly and solidly, beautifully designed experience. It's very short, I will say that. Yes, I was able to beat it in roughly four to five hours. Um, the music in the game is fan-fucking-tastic. If you love that ambient mm. shit like I do... Hell yeah. Soundtrack was phenomenal oh, to this game. Yeah. Um so good. Um this game does such a great job of showing and not telling. They show you what you need to do and they give you the tools that you need to do without explicitly telling you how to do it. And yeah, there were there were a few puzzles that got me stuck um longer than I would have liked, but in general I think it's a solid experience, especially if you love uh, puzzle-y type games as uh, as as well as just like uh, a very weird. Cause so like you you play as this moth, like you're this little moth bug, um, and it's just like this like sci-fi like setting. Like if you like that and there stuff, is I, like an there's an, a, an extremely abstracted narrative going on. Like the game clearly has ideas about what's happening and kind of doesn't give a shit if you understand them all. Um, Cause it's all just kind of seasoning for the experience, you know, mm-hmm. but there's a, there are one or two moments in this that I would put up there with some of my favorite moments of the year in video games. And like some, a, 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 one moment in particular, which you and I sort of, uh, briefly talked about earlier today in a, in a don't want to spoil it for other people kind of way felt it, it impacted me the way that like an incredible tri- twist in a narrative would do. And it achieved that only by setting rules and creating a visual language to teach me what things did. And then suddenly subverting my expectation in a way that like, I was rattled when it happened. I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe that. And I played, there was like an, the, the whole like last hour or at least like maybe like right before the hour, right before the end of that game, I felt like I played with a big stupid grin on my face. It was just kind of a really magical experience. And like, I could have dealt with a much longer version of this game, to be honest. And if this game had been like 10, 12, 15 hours long, I might have ranked it significantly higher on this list. It was a really uh, distinct and impactful experience, I felt like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a fantastic game. Uh, and it beat out Dredge for me. as So, I mean, that's why it's my 10 and it's your 9. But, Ryan, what is your number 9? My number 9 is a little game. The little game that could. Um, Exo Primal. Oh man! Oh, Thank yeah. God it made yeah. the cut. Hell yeah! Oh, Exo primal sequence it. unlocked. It, I was I, uh, going back and forth on having this one on here. It ended up this and amnesia ended up barely edging out a game that I think we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit here. Uh, Brandon, you were saying something? 
Oh, I was just saying that like I, you know, played a couple matches with you and it didn't stick with me, but it was it was fun what I did play. It's of that It's such a fun game. Its core mechanics are really polished and enjoyable. And more than anything else, it was maybe the most unique experience I had in a game this year. I've never played anything that has a progression and a loop quite like Exoprimal does. Uh, Exoprimal is a multiplayer-only, like, co-op style, plus-versus style uh, action game where you're shooting a bunch of dinosaurs and completing objectives to try to race against another enemy team. And then the final round of the match is a team-versus-team, like, battle, where either you're directly competing against each other and shooting at each other to try to, like, move a cart like an Overwatch or Team Fortress, or you're trying to do, like, a King of the Hill-style thing. And what makes this game so fascinating is that as you play the game, the more matches you play and the higher your, like, in-game level is you are unlocking these, like, story events and cutscenes, and then you'll fight, like, a boss as, like, a ten-player raid uh, where you're fighting a giant boss as a group of, like, players with different roles, like in an MMO, and that'll unlock new maps and modes and sort of transmit you into unlocking the second tier of the game. So weird. Now your options have expanded significantly, and that just keeps going and going and going, until the absolutely, like, insane, like, 30-minute-long, multi-level final boss fight. And even then, like, I had to stop playing it because more stuff was coming out and I had seen the credits. But there are multiple maps that I did not play as of the time I completed the game. Mm -hmm. Because you're sort of at the will of who you're matchmaking with and what the game is going to give you, which is definitely a problem for some people, but I loved it. It You never knew when you were suddenly going to end up having an entirely different experience. From the outside of Exoprimal looking at it, it seemed like both like one of its biggest strengths and one of the reasons why it sort of struggled to connect with a major following was how kind of uncompromisingly audaciously unique and weird it was like it's a hard game to explain you know you have to like name five other games to explain uh what kind of game it is because it seems sort of like a, a melding of several different kinds of both multiplayer and oddly enough like single player story experiences uh and yeah i just i you know like i'm so glad it made this list because it, it it's like a footnote in the in the <clears throat> the golden age of Capcom that we're all living through and like it looked so cool I never got to put my hands on it and like love to see it getting some love here yeah it's, yeah it's really unique it, yeah it's something else and I'm glad that it's still getting support from Capcom and that they yeah. seem to be planning to support it at least into next year um, the numbers on Xbox because of Game Pass still seem pretty solid I know it's got you know, it's not a major success, but it seems to be doing exactly good enough for them to keep doing stuff with it. That's great. And Yeah, yeah I think I'm it's kind of a... It was obviously kind of a marketing headache, I feel like, you know? Like, a, it's yeah, just it's, a tough experience to really neatly, cleanly describe to people. And even if it was an easy-to-describe multiplayer action game, if you're Capcom trying to promote a dinosaur-focused multiplayer action game... 
people Where's are just Dino Crisis? mad that it's not Dino Crisis. Exactly. <laughs> Where's fuck's Dino Crisis? Fuck you guys. Especially yeah, because one of the main story characters is directly a reference to one of the main characters of Dino Crisis. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know. I, yeah. I have no sympathy left for any fandoms. If you're part of a group of people who's being toxic because you like a thing, like, get the fuck over yourself already. Yeah, I've, I've had enough of everybody in that regard. I will yeah. say that the probably the number one thing that I was overjoyed about with Exoprimal is, you know, at this point, I've played a lot of multiplayer, like, hero-style shooters where... You know, there's offense and defense and support and different heroes in each class that have different moves that you can use to help your team. Maybe I'll be Tracer. Maybe I'll be Tracer. Maybe I'll be Sledge and Rainbow Six, like that kind of thing. <laughs> Exoprimal is the only one of those games I've played where every single one of those characters is fun to use. Cool, that's awesome. I have never been in a situation where I loaded into a match and nobody was being a healer and i was like fuck i have to be a fucking healer god damn it like i could pick any of those nine main characters and have a blast or now you know in additional seasons they've added variants so like hey this character who you know he has a grenade launcher we've changed his main weapon so now it's a rocket launcher so it doesn't have any splash damage anymore, but it does much more damage on impact, and it's harder to hit with, but can take down harder foes really fast. So That's now cool. I mean, yeah, much... obviously Capcom has some some experience with balancing different playstyles, like vis-a-vis -vis Monster Hunter and whatnot. Yeah. And Street and Fighter, that, of course. I think I read that the people who made this game was kind of a hodgepodge of the Monster Hunter teams and the Lost Planet team. Oh, wow. Okay which uh, is a really awesome combination. And I just had a blast playing this game. I probably played it for around 20 to 30 hours to see credits. Solid. And yeah, never got bored of the of the game, which is a hell of an experience for a game like this where you're constantly just shooting dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, highly recommended. People should play it. Cool. Hell yeah. Um, my number nine is a little game known as Super Mario RPG. It did make it. Uh, it's, you know, I, I enjoyed it, um, having played the original back in the day. Um, and I, you know, it's... It's a, it's a very good remake of that game. It is... Of its time, for sure, but I think like it's it's considered an all-time classic of that sort of SNES era of RPGs, and I think that the the graphics update is great. The soundtrack is phenomenal. I think they really knocked it out of the park with the soundtrack. Um, specifically, uh, I really love what they did with uh, with Booster Tower. It's fan fucking tastic. Oh, that area was uh, so good. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's, uh, there was something that, that Dylan said to me, uh, that he had a feeling of, of, oh, this sure does feel like playing Super Mario RPG from SNES, and it mostly feels that way. They've added some new battle mechanics, such as the, mm -hmm. the Splash meter where, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, it's so it, interesting, Brandon, because I'm, I'm, I haven't beaten this game. I'm like, I think I'm three stars in now, but 
My feeling about it is when this thing was announced, it felt like a real sort of love letter to the fans of uh, uh, maybe a a Nintendo classic that never got its due. And mm-hmm. we thought, man, the Nintendo really made this game for us, and it's so cool. Playing it made me realize, like, this game is much less essential for somebody who play who has played and is very familiar with Super Mario RPG than it is for a new generation of gamers who never got to play that game. Like, I think yeah. those people, this is a really good proposition for them. Maybe not a really good value proposition for them because it is a $60 game, and I, I feel like... You know that that maybe was not necessary, uh, but yeah, I, I I definitely think if you're a person who's been hearing all your life about how great Super Mario RPG is, this is a f- phenomenal fucking way to play that game, and it's a great game. Yeah, and it's only r- roughly twelve to thirteen hours long. Super short, generally. It's pretty. It's very short for an RPG. So like, if you don't have a lot of time but you want to play an RPG, highly recommend this one. And the writing's That's sharp a, and funny. Uh, that's me, the guy who never played Super Mario RPG, but has heard his whole life how good it is, what a classic it is, and I rolled credits on it last night, nice. and that's a pretty good game. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I am uniquely in a position to say that I like that it is the Super Nintendo game, but nicer looking. I love a good, big budget, let's go crazy, modernize everything remake of a classic but I think there's room for a simple let's make everything look really nice remake too that keeps the exact game feel and you know eccentricities of a 90s JRPG I think the charm that was added by it feeling old made up for the issues that came about because it was old Mm -hmm. yeah 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 there's a few things I wish they would have gone a little further with like I think personally the way Mario controls in the overworld is weird and slidey and like feels like you're moving a Mario shaped cursor around. And I kind of wish that they had like given Mario some momentum and maybe, you know, uh, weren't quite so true to the original in that way. Um, but that's not like a, that's not a, uh, fuck this game level complaint. That's a tiny thing. And mm-hmm. I love the little details, like how each boss encounter gets their own special, like intro animation uh you know just a little short thing for them to kind of like establish themselves and their personality it's just like a beautifully presented version of a great classic game yeah yeah definitely definitely agree with that and with that we're now on to the next number dylan it's number eight what's hey get out your tables uh because my number eight is sea of stars and i'm not allowed to talk about it yet we're going to table that one because that one is a little bit more up on my list. So, Ryan, what's my your number, number eight? eight would have to be, uh, see, if you divide eight by two, I don't know if you know this, uh, uh, Brandon, you get the number four. Mm-hmm. Mm. And mm. four is the number of Pikmin games that have come out. Oh, thank God. You know, on mainline consoles. And Ryan, this is my number is 11. Eight. I was so sad when it fell out of my tent. I'm so happy that we're here to talk about it now. All what right, a great pitch, game, huh? Pitch me on Pikmin 4. Game, dude. Uh, Pikmin 4 is the ideal way to play a Pikmin game, I think. I, I completely agree. If it's 2023 and you've never played Pikmin, I you know I love that they put out 1 and 2, but pick up 4. It's 
great. Pikmin 4 is, I think it's fascinating because it feels like a game where they said, all right, we have three games in this franchise now, and Pikmin has sort of been a lot of different things. It's been a grindy dungeon crawler. It's been a you know, fast-paced speedrun game. It's been a puzzle game. Pikmin 4 feels like they made a full game out of all of those things and just put them together. You are yeah. getting every single thing that Pikmin has ever been, and you are getting them as uncompromised experiences. You aren't getting a little bit of the puzzles and a little bit of the dungeon crawling. You're getting a full game's worth of each of them stuck together. I mean, there's like 50 hours of Pikmin in that game you if you want to do everything. You see credits, and there's more than half the game left <laughs> Yeah, more, way more than half. There's almost like the last half of the game and another bonus game and like several other bonus gauntlet things that go into it. But the re But like, you know, without talking about the content glut of it, I just think in terms of, of the, pick, the core Pikmin experience, just exploring... Those worlds, each of those levels, has never been kind of more magical, more transportive, more fun. That People talk about that Nintendo magic, and you so get it each time you first enter one of these big levels to to figure out your way through. Yeah, and, they uh, give you, like, man, a big, like, sweeping camera pan showing you all the different, like types of thing you're going to encounter like oh here's a cave surrounded by a hazard you're going to have to figure out how to get through here's a weird new enemy type you haven't seen what's going on over there and then it just kind of says go f puzzle your way through this environment yeah and the way that like i mean this has always kind of been true but the way that it almost kind of metroidvania is those levels where you're you're coming back to things that you can now interact with in new ways not just because of having a new Pikmin that can do a thing with an object or whatever, but just like, oh, I've made a shortcut sort of Dark 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 Souls style that's like created a new loop within this level. And like, yeah, man, the, the core Pikmin experience is so fun. It's never been friendlier, obviously, in terms of like the ease to pick up and play. And uh, there's so much of it. <laughs> and Ochi. Best new game mechanic of 2023. So good. Ochi is a is an MVP superstar. What a what a fella. The little yeah. weird dog with no nose. What a weird dog with no nose. He completely changes the way you interact with a Pikmin world while still feeling like you're playing Pikmin. It's fascinating and it's fantastic. It's really the I feel like one of the best jump. implementations of Ochi in the game is during those <clears throat> which unfortunately I felt like the challenge of those things were a little a little bit less than I was hoping for but the the tower defense things where you can kind of use Ochi as like your second guy on the battlefield and like spread out your your assault with him and be switching back and forth like really cool really great. Yeah, it's just there's a lot of game there. And not all of it is as polished or fun or, you know, enjoyable as the rest of it. But the fact that there's so much of it and the fact that there's so many different ways to experience it, it's it's easily top ten games of the year. I really love it. I would it. say the the biggest moment of that game, if I was going to, like, make a list of the, the craziest gaming moments uh, for me of the year, it would just be unlocking Olimar mode, which I won't go into the spoilers of what that is, but, like... Once it dawned on me what that was, I was like, Jesus Christ. I had the exact They have been reaction. making Pikmin 4 for a long time. <laughs> I was like, hi, I wonder what's going on here. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, wild. Fucking wild. Hell yeah. It's It's been on my radar for a long time to check it out, and eventually I will get to it. Um, but my number eight is a game called Fire Emblem Engage. Thank God. Listen, yeah. <clears throat> if you... Well, well, hang on, Love. Ryan. What do we do? We stop here. Do we table? This was my number to... eleven. Oh, okay. We're good. We're safe. We're oh, clear. good, 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 good. Um, I I liked this game a lot. Not as much as the other Fire Emblem game that's on Switch. Three Houses. They really scale back the uh sort of like life sim aspect of the of the past few games. And really focus a little bit more on the tactics aspect, um, which can you, know, you date the waifus? Te- yes, but it's not as it's not as intense as you would say a three houses. Okay, um, then I'm gonna half flip this table over so that it's on its side, but not all the way flipped over. Yeah, so you, I mean, I guess technically you can date somebody in the game, uh, but it's very not. Like, not nearly as robust as as past Fire Emblem games. But, but yeah, I mean, if you were a fan of, like, you know, something a little more along the lines of, like, the advanced games or really anything before Fire Emblem Awakening, um, then this might be your Fire Emblem, modern-day Fire Emblem, I should say, just because it's way more focused on tactics and more focused on just, like, the actual gameplay uh the story is fine it's a fire emblem story uh always has to do with a dragon and yada 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 um the the main character has uh colgate toothpaste hair um which Mm. fine it was designed by some vtuber VTuber? yeah that's so weird yeah um i think a lot of the characters in the game actually look really good uh, the main yeah, character is maybe not necessarily one of them, but yeah, I, a, I, would, I think that's I, a really good-looking game overall. Oh, yeah. Game game looks great. Uh, design's fantastic. Uh, the music's good. Everything from a design standpoint in that game is is very solid. There's this like little cat creature that you can uh, like feed meat Zombie. to, and yeah, and it'll... Uh, like, give you slight boosts in your battles and stuff and, like, help you out a little bit. It's, um... Yeah, I I think it's worth checking out if you like Fire Emblem. Like I said, if you've never played a Fire Emblem game, play Fire Emblem Three Houses. But if you had played a Fire Emblem game and more just want to do more of the tactic stuff, Engage is really good. Yeah, I see. It it seemed like maybe a lot of people got scared off from this one who were new converts to the series off of three houses from all of the it doesn't do the three houses thing the setting's not a big deal the characters are less deep all that stuff and i just i can't help but wonder if this was maybe not the smartest next place to go after three houses when like you know you had millions of new eyes on the ip but hey you know seems like some people are pretty happy with it yeah Uh, yeah and who who knows what the the next game will will be totally Three Houses was my first Fire Emblem game, and around hour 50 of it, I started to enjoy it a lot less, <laughs> because I was like, alright, we're getting to the end of the game, why do I have to teach these dickweeds about gardening for 20 minutes before I go to a map? Uh, Fire Emblem Engage, cutting out the fluff, and really focusing on tactics gameplay that I thought was much better 
than the maps and gameplay in Three Houses. Put Engage over Three Houses for me by a long shot. Cool. I think the Engage mechanic is fantastic and one of the most fun turn-based tactics game mechanics I've ever seen in the game. Oh, yeah. the Yeah, the Engage, that's the big draw of it, too, is, like, you have these special rings that you can equip uh, to your characters, and they, like, call upon these, like, the heroes of legend throughout all the Fire Emblem series, and, like, you can, like, combine yourself with them to do, like, special attacks, and, like, it, it's cool, yeah. Some some peop- some critics are saying, like, this was the best, like, combat in any Fire Emblem game, like, ever, so... It's like, just so really, fun. Really enjoyed it's that. so much so. fun to play this game. The maps are all great and have unique little gimmicks where you're, like... Oh, this section of the map is gonna blow up every three turns, so I have to make sure my guys aren't there on that turn, and just lots of stuff like that to keep every level fresh and fun. And it also, while the story is largely pretty boring, it does have maybe my favorite moment in a game story this year. Uh, spoilers for halfway through Fire Emblem Engage or so, but at one point, all of your characters are standing together just talking to the big bad guy. And somebody comes around and they're like, hey, while you were all focused on talking to this guy, I stole your treasure from your pockets one by one while all of you were distracted and weren't looking. <laughs> pretty funny. It does. I've seen like a lot of funny stuff from that game. It seems like a it's funny pretty game. Funny. They're clearly yeah. just kind of not taking it seriously and having a good time. And it worked for me. I, I had a smile on my face the whole way through. I just had a blast with it. And I'm glad Hell it made yeah. Brandon's list because it just barely didn't make mine. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh yeah, a solid solid game in my opinion. But we are down to number seven, Dylan. My number uh, seven no, my pick? number seven of the year was Metroid Prime Remastered. Does anybody else have this ranked higher than I do? Uh, you're gonna have, to I have Samus it. on the table for now. I have Ooh, it yeah. also ranked. I have it also ranked at number seven as well. Uh, okay. But we will table it because it's Tabled. higher on Ryan's list. So that means we will go back to number six. Number Wait, what, six. Was, what was Ryan's seven? Did we get Ryan's uh, seven? My number oh, seven. Oh, no, we didn't. Is... Ryan, Ryan, what is your seven? Octopath Traveler 2. Hell yeah. It's just Pit- good. Just, yeah, be careful here. I'm definitely going to play this fucking thing, but I do want to know some stuff for sure. Like, yeah, because yeah, I played, I almost beat Octopath 1. I kind of fell off. I think I didn't finish two of the characters. Um, and I, I loved a lot of what that game did, and I had some problems also with, like, the pacing and how the story was structured. And everything I hear about this one is that it's a fucking real home run. So I'd love to so, just mm-hmm. hear Octopath part, what, what makes it wonderful. It's very much Octopath Traveler 1, but again, uh, the thing is that a lot of the things that were problems in Octopath 1, like sometimes the pacing could be terrible and very, very talky for a very long time, like those problems are still in the game. They've been mitigated a little bit because some characters now have like, oh, this is your character where 90% of their story chapter is going to be fighting dudes. So if you're tired of talking sure. and you just want to go fight dudes, do one of this guy's chapters. Um, but the good things about Octopath Traveler have all been made better here. Uh, the combat system is very similar to the first game, but 
the combination of moves you have access to and the job system have made it so that it just feels more fun to use. It's more flexible with the characters you can have and the abilities they have equipped. It's just... Oh, it's so good! It's so much You've fun. You've been dropping some soundtrack picks, too, uh, in the Discord that have been mm-hmm. really, really quality. It, it is absolutely the best soundtrack I've heard in a game this year. Absolutely stellar. Every time I walk onto a new, like, into a new town, I am just putting the controller down, and I'm listening to the theme song for, you know, two minutes, and then I'm hitting the, the right trigger to change the time of day to night, and listening to the night arrangement of that same theme for two minutes, and then I'm spending another minute debating with myself which of the, the versions of the song <laughs> is the best version of the song. And then I'm robbing every single person in town for their, <laughs> their blog. <laughs> Hell yeah. Totally. I, I got about ten hours into Octopath 1, and it didn't really hook me. Um, I, I I love the design of it, and the music is fantastic, but <clears throat> like you said, like the pacing was for me has was the biggest issue um, in that game, and then like I feel like let me ask you this, Ryan, like from a like pacing standpoint, like do you feel like it's leagues ahead of of one? Like two is just they're better about that. No, it is not leagues ahead of one. It has many of the same issues that one had pacing wise, but I do think that it's mitigated a bit because the chapters are a bit more varied in how they go about them. Like in in, in Octopath One, every single chapter was you're gonna talk to people for twenty minutes, then you're gonna find a dungeon. Then you're going to go through the dungeon. Then you're going to fight a boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it and, kind of felt like... And then you, you would switch to the next chapter with another character and feel like you were sort of back to square one try, doing it again. So the exactly. par, part of the problem Octopath, was by keeping everybody separate, uh, it kind of felt like I was like never escaping the first act of a game. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got you. And then Octopath 2 does a really smart thing with this where, first of all, people's chapters are not always going to be that structure. They usually are, but you'll do some that are like, hey, this whole chapter is a dungeon and a boss, or this chapter is talking to people and nothing else, and like solving like maybe like an overworld puzzle with your character's path actions. So there's a little more dynamic uh, feeling to the chapters themselves. And I think maybe most interestingly is Octopath 2 divides its game world into a left and right like, hemisphere. Mm-hmm. With oh, four okay, characters sure. On each. That's so cool. That's fun. So you can sort of go through the games for the first like ten or so hours, get like a, a full party together and start their act ones, and then you know their act two or act three is gonna be on the other side of the game's world. So you're gonna go over there and see your characters, you know, next few levels, and what that has to do before you pick up another a fifth or sixth character to see their act one. So you're seeing more of the game before you feel like you're stepping back into, you know, the early chapters. Sure. I almost think that, like, they still have not totally cracked this equation. And I always thought, playing one, that the way you would do this is you would change it up by characters. You would make certain characters, like, much more action and less story-based and, like, other ones extremely narratively heavy and then like 
you know, make make other ones always doing crazy mini games, and that's so that way every time you're with a new character, it kind of feels like you're playing a different game. But they I I don't do know. I, I see what they're it's, doing. Obviously, they do, do it, that here. I it's not quite <clears throat> as strong as I would have liked, but you can tell sure. they're definitely trying to push that. And if they get to an Octopath Traveler three, I would not be surprised if it's even more pronounced in that direction. This uh, team it, has been making, has been putting out great fucking work for like ten years now over at Square, and it really does seem like eventually they're going to drop like their undeniable masterpiece. JRPG. I really mm-hmm. think they're mm-hmm. working on Chrono Trigger over there. I think it's happening. Be sick. That would be sick. That, that would be sick. It's funny that you mentioned that, Dylan, because I played uh, Live Alive last yeah, year. Yeah, it the, sounds like Live Alive is that. more like what I'm talking about. And yeah. and yeah, and Live Alive is exactly what you're talking about. Um, each character is in a different setting, and it's not all necessarily like based on combat. Sometimes it's like there's very little combat, like you said. Like you're essentially doing a, a different game with with each character, and um, I feel like if the Octopath team can sort of really look at that game and, and take some lessons from that, I think that they could make a really really good game. Like mm-hmm. Octopath Three could be based off that or something. I don't know. Um, okay. Final, final number six. Quick on, on oh yeah. Two is one thing that's really impressed me is they've done a really good job of integrating side quests into the game in a way that they really weren't any in Octopath One. There were like little mm-hmm. like, hey, can you find something for me? Like quests in Octopath One. Octopath Two has tons of like optional dungeons that you'll just stumble across while exploring the game's map. And each of them oh, nice. has, like, unique equipment in them and then, like, a unique cool. boss at the end of it that can get you, like, an ultimate weapon of some kind. And as you get your characters to higher levels and complete their stories, you'll be like, hey, your thief and your uh, your cleric, they now have a duo chapter over in this town where you can go over oh, to this village. And now these two characters are embarking on their own adventure together. That's that's really cool. That is else. really cool. And that can last for multiple chapters as well with unique boss fights and areas and stuff like that. So they do a lot to shake up the flow of going from chapter to chapter in a way that yeah. has kept the game interesting for me. I'm not cool. done with it yet, but I've played 50 hours of it, and I think that's enough to put it on my list. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Good. Good. I'm, I'm excited to dip to dip more into it. I'm stoked. Um, I think you're really going to like it. If you can get through a couple of chapter ones, I think you're going to love this game. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I'm Okay. All right. Dylan, we're almost halfway through this list. Number six. What is your number uh, six? Do I need to get my table out again? My number six of the year is Final Fantasy 16. Uh, you do not, Not for sir. me. Hey, unranked on on Ryan's list. We get to talk about Final Fantasy 16 right now. I'm going to say right up front, Final Fantasy 16 is not a perfect game. It is not uh, a a unassailable masterpiece. But there's so much about it that I feel so strongly about that I just I every time I was looking at these rankings, I was like, nope, can't put it any lower than that. This part was too amazing to me. I was too impacted by this. This was so great. First of all, <clears throat> I'm going to throw this one out immediately. Best, straight up, best voice acting in video game history. Ever, down to the random NPCs on the street, 
like the better voice acting than you would get in like televised animation. They went for like, just play it supernatural, play it so natural, play this like you're really there. Don't, don't try to over enunciate. Don't try to over emote. Uh, and, uh, so that goes a long way carrying the kind of mood and the setting, but then also like genuinely impacted by a lot of what was going on in that story and its characters in a way that like, it made me feel invested in a way that I, I have not been in a JRPG. I feel like since I was really a teenager of just like caring about the world, being really interested in the world setting. First of all, I think it's a great world setting. I think like it would have made a, a 2010 era hit young adult uh, dystopian novel if you just took exactly what this world is and made a book series about it. Um, but then, yeah, the, the, the central characters and especially one character who dies fairly early on in the, in the plot and then casts a very long shadow over the rest of the game in a really unique and interesting way. I mean, there were, there were little side characters like the blacksmith, uh, who's in your camp who you do these side stories with and you like slowly learn that he's this extremely odd and like very self, uh, conscious tortured guy, despite just seeming like a really gruff, like if you don't need anything, leave me alone kind of dude in a way that was so interesting. And I mean, there were moments in that game where I teared up and I haven't even talked about the fact that there are two boss battles in final fantasy 16 that are like, the most over-the-top insane spectacle perhaps in video game history. It's very funny because there are moments of that game that look so cheap and so kind of like early PS4 uh, in their uh, execution. And then there's stuff that's just like visually uh, so overloaded and so crazy. And those two boss battles are each like 20 or 30 minutes long each and are kinetic and insane with incredible music, uh, like pure visual storytelling and drama. It's a soap opera where you're fucking turning into a dragon and flying into space, you know? Like, it's just really crazy over-the-top shit. Uh, that said, so it was made by the Final Fantasy fourteen team, the, the MMO, which I think was a blessing and a curse. For one, the world building and the character stuff is all super good, uh, and the story moves in a really cool way, and I really like where it goes. Uh, but there's a lot of like, oh no, you need to find five needles and bring them to the guy in the other town. Like, there's so much of that MMO quest shit that like, you know, it's that shit is not good. Uh, the battle system also, like, they talked it up so much getting the Devil May Cry guy involved, and I think it does, like, there's cool ideas to that battle system, uh, but it's almost like they've given you, like, a decently deep tool set for an extremely simple series of tasks, uh, even if you play that game on, like, Final Fantasy mode or whatever they call their hard mode, um, You'll, you'll find that it's just the same loop of combat, but, you know, longer because the enemies are much spongier. Um, so, yeah, it's not a perfect experience, but, like, every time I got a new set of side quests in that game, I'm like, I know this writing is going to be fucking insane. 
Like you just, there's a moment where you get out into a field in this one part of the world map where everybody in these towns are extremely racist and the, the places those side quests go as just little exclamation dots on the way to your main task are so gripping, dark, uh, uh, audacious. Like I, I really was, my head swam multiple times playing that game. So even though it's an uneven experience, I really, I have to toast it as one of the most memorable and impactful gaming experiences of the year for me. Hell yeah. I agree pretty much with everything you said, although it didn't make my list. I think the negatives kind of dragged it down further for me than they did for you. Sure. I feel like it's one of the best games ever made stapled to a game that is actively bad. (laughs) I think that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. As, you know, as somebody who had just come off of playing, you know, uh, Bayonetta 3, which I think is one of the best action game systems of all time. Yeah, not a good follow-up act for like really yeah, strong I don't think character the action. In FF16 was nearly strong enough to justify how long that game is and how much of the combat you do. So much, yeah. Um, I also have a bone I want to pick. I want to throw a call out out there to Final Fantasy XIV fans, who I had to watch for years of FF16 sort of marketing and development be like, oh my god, they're doing FF14 things with the bosses and their attack patterns. This is the craziest shit I've ever seen in an action game. And then I play the game, and oh, what they mean is that a circle will appear on the ground. And right, you gotta move away from it. later, you don't want to be standing <laughs> in the circle. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But overall, but yeah, the still, Titan fight and the, the Bahamut writing, fight are are undeniably, in terms of sheer spectacle, incredible bosses. A- absolutely, Titan, Bahamut, and I would put Odin on that list as well. I think sure, are just excellent boss fights that are a ton of fun to play, learn, and just the spectacle, like you said, is insane. And yeah, shout out to the writing and the voice acting in this game; they are both top notch. Totally. It's one another one on my list I want to check out. So, but Ryan, what's your number, number six? Six on my list. We might have to break out the table for. I have the Resident Evil Four remake. Uh, that is also my number six as well. Hey, uh, and I, I I missed my ranking, so we're free to talk about. It. All yeah, right, so awesome. let's let's get into it. So Resident Evil Four is my second favorite game of all time. I think it's an absolutely. Pr- I think it's an actual example of a perfect video game. Um, there's nothing I would change about RE4 on the Nintendo GameCube. Stone Cold classic, perfect script, perfect direction, perfect combat, and the loop is fantastic. Uh, Resident Evil 4 Remake is not nearly on that level, but it's a different game in a way that I really appreciate on its own right. The addition of like little side quests you're doing through these areas that kind of take you back through them and let you experience new things in these familiar levels. The the changes to some of the level design and boss design. It, it winds up being a familiar but different experience. And I, I had a great time with it. I had a really good time with it. I have some issues with its pacing that weren't in the original. I have some issues with some of its... Uh, boss encounters that weren't in the original, but overall, it's still one of the highest quality games of the year. Even if you haven't touched the original game, 
probably especially if you haven't touched the original game or if you bounced off of it because of its outdated controls. It's it's just a ton of fun to play and replay over and over again, as most Resident Evil games are. Yeah, it I, is uh, a, a Stone Cold classic, the original <clears throat> GameCube RE4, and I mean, I do agree with you, Ryan, that like the closer your relationship is with that GameCube classic, the more spots in RE4 that you might feel yourself tripping up a little bit in terms of like, oh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that change. But also, they did a cool job remixing moments so that if you're over-familiar with original Resident Evil 4, that game will, like, really fuck with you in a lot of fun ways. Um, to me, honestly, the the standout of that whole experience, though, was I thought the sound design was so good. Like, it's just never been better to, like, hear the rustling and know somebody is near but not quite where they are. And... Uh, uh, some of my problems with original RE4 were still holding me back a little. I've I've always been team that game kind of falls apart for me once you get to the last act to the island and it like more overtly becomes like a real run and gun action game. Um but that said it's it looks gorgeous. It feels really good. The atmosphere I think is pretty terrific and for the most part I think the atmosphere is is improved. I think that like Maybe there are some spots in, in the remake that are a little too overlit, but mostly I think it's actually a scarier experience than the GameCube one, certainly. Although maybe scary is not the biggest focus with RE4 as opposed to the rest of the series. Um, but yeah, it, I thought it was like a really good workman's job of bringing that game to modern consoles. It suffers, I also think, because of RE2 remake being kind of such a revelation and like there being less room to improve RE4. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I loved my time with it. Uh, totally worth playing through for fans of the original and anybody who hasn't touched uh, 4. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with 4 on GameCube. I mean, I knew the big story beats and like I started playing re4 on my switch and didn't get super far into it so when this i was really glad that this remake came out because um to me like some of the like design stuff like that they did in the original like i it seems a little outdated compared to remake which you know made me playing it made it made it better for me and i i i ended up really enjoying uh, Resident Evil 4 remake a lot and uh, the DLC was good too. I liked playing as 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 Oh Ada. yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um yeah. Um yeah, I just I enjoyed my time with it. Uh I thought the sound design was great. Um the environments were really solid. Um it definitely seemed like compared to what I have played of the original and of the remake, they leaned more into the action and some of the comedy like goofiness of the original seems a little bit lost. Um, in in the remake, but um, I I still dug it for for what this ended up being, and I I enjoyed it. So I I love, almost obje- oh yeah go for it Ryan. I love the campy ridiculous cheese of the original game, and I was expecting it to be lost in this uh, remake. And I think one of my biggest problems with it ends up being that they kind of tried to split the difference in a way that doesn't really work. Yeah, I would rather they have gone all in on sort of the horror and dreariness that you could absolutely pull off from a story that is on its surface 
this fucked up and dark and twisted. But they definitely tried to ham-fist a few references to the original script in there, and it winds up feeling like you're getting the worst of both worlds. Yeah, well, not all the time, but sometimes definitely it feels like you're getting mm-hmm. the worst mm-hmm. of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift once said, if you chase two rabbits, you won't catch either. <laughs> and I think uh, that's in full effect here. Ryan, when you were first giving your overview of GameCube Resident Evil 4 and you said that it had a great script, uh, part of me wanted to object and like point out fairly that uh, the story of Resident Evil 4 as presented in the GameCube version is almost incomprehensible. <laughs> like, no, I don't so mean much... it's story. I mean it's script every you're uh, course, always laughing yeah. it up and having a good time but also i feel like the fact that it it's so nonsensical in the original is like it feels very intentional of kind of like a don't think too hard about this you know like this is the fucking 80s action horror don't worry about it you know yeah exactly it, i think it works really well in that sense in the original game totally hell yeah and now we are down to our top five, top five of the year, starting with Dylan Flynn. Dylan Flynn, what is your number five? You're lucky because we are not done talking about Capcom yet. We get to once again talk about Capcom because my number five of the year was Street Fighter Six. Hey! Hadouk. All three of Capcom's 2023 games ended up on this list. Representation like up the wazoo for Capcom in a very competitive year. Anyway, uh, Street Fighter Six is, it, I think it's my favorite fighting game of all time. It's always been a genre that I'm pretty casual with, but have some enjoyment of. And they've just never made it easier or more fun to get super into fucking Street Fighter. Like, the the simple mechanic of giving you the, whatever they call it, the casual mode uh, controls, means that, like, while you will never be as good as an elite Street Fighter player, you have a really good path to learning a character, getting comfortable with a character, and uh, becoming effective at executing a character. And the characters are so good. Like, the new people on the roster are so, like, instant classic Capcom uh, Street Fighter characters who, like, my favorite character in that game is a new one, uh, Manila, she's a, she's a, or sorry, uh, Manon, she's a, a grapple fighter, which traditionally has always been Zangief, but she uses inertia grappling, so she uses ballet uh, to throw her opponents, and her design's so good, her backstory's really funny and weird, uh, but the real reason that it's this high is how much fun I had with this game's stupidly, unnecessarily involved story mode, where you free roam around the city uh, and any NPC on the street you see, you can just fucking uppercut and now you're in a street fighter fight against them and they'll like, they give you stupid tasks like, you know, it could be something like perform three grabs or it could be something sillier like, you know, kick three paper airplanes as they fly by or whatever and if you do that task, you like, you know, you get more of your upgrade materials, you're like turning your character into a, a, a super OP nonsense character you make your own in the character creator the story is like a stupid over-the-top street fighter 6 story it's just so fucking fun dude it's so much fun the online is great i love how they handled the online with the big kind of like arcade that you're in and like the different kinds of fights you can get into with people 
Um, the music's awesome. It looks, it's visually so gorgeous. And uh, yeah, I mean, like if you have a hankering to get deeper into a fighter game experience than you ever have, go to Street Fighter VI. There's not that much I can say about it in terms of like critical analysis, unless you wanted to hear me talk about frame pacing or whatever, but uh, because it's such a kind of kinetic hands-on thing, but man, it's just dumb. It's fun. It's colorful. It's funny. It's weird. Uh, Street Fighter Six is a huge winner. I recommend it to anyone who thinks it might be their thing. Uh, Hell Street yeah! Six definitely on my list of twenty twenty three games to play next. Oh, year. If you get if you end up getting it, dude, let's. I'll jump back on with you, and we'll have fun. Absolutely, for sure. Make it happen, Ryan. What is your number five? Uh, my number five is Metroid Prime Remastered. Okay, now we can talk about it. Um, God damn, dude. Retro Studios can cook. <laughs> Very slowly. Very slow slowly. and slow. <laughs> but they know how to do it. Um, it's, I mean, it's one of the best games ever made, and now it's by far the best looking game on the Nintendo Switch with out of nowhere gorgeous Gorgeous. out of nowhere you could want for an extremely like a shockingly budget price I thought I thought for this thing oh agreed like I could absolutely have seen the full 60 for this it looks so good it still plays absolutely fantastically it's still an all time great soundtrack it's just sublime. It's some of the best video gaming you could ever play, even if you were to boot up the GameCube version today. Except now it's got great motion control options. It's got some great quality of life enhancements, like the ability to just jump with your morph ball instead of use the bomb every time you want to get anywhere. And, and the motion controls and the visuals are, again, so good and running at a locked, smooth 60 FPS. Mm-hmm. There's just... There's very few better things to play on your Nintendo Switch. I I would agree with that. I never, having never played Metroid Prime or two or three, even um, having very little like like nostalgia with this uh, series or these games. Like I found myself coming away from my experience just being a really good time. Fantastic game, looks absolutely gorgeous. Like. I understand why, you know, publications gave it, like, a lot of really high scores, like, with this remaster. Just a really, really good good showcase of, like, what the Switch can do, I think, in my opinion. Um, and they really knocked it out of the park. I just, I, I had a very, very good time with this game. God, I really yeah, I kept they put... struggling, too, because I have, I have this ranked at number seven on my list, and I kept thinking, like... Can I really put a remake over some of this wholly original stuff that I thought was like so accomplished and so much work went into? Like, for example, I ranked this above uh, Sea of Stars by one slot. And what I kept coming back to was I ha- I have to be honest with the the experience I had with it, which was just to mm-hmm. like finally go back to Metroid Prime for the first time since it was a brand new game and I was a child and realize like how much of first kind of first person exploration video gaming ideas start here people talk a lot about about ocarina of time being this like 
a huge sea change for adventure games. And I feel like for the Game, GameCube generation, people point to Resident Evil 4 as where, you know, at every game after it was different. <clears throat> but in its own way, I really feel like Metroid Prime is the Ocarina of Time of its generation in terms of, like, I see Portal when I play this game. I see, uh, you know, modern Doom even with the platforming and exploration elements of it. Like, the 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 fact that, especially when you, when you uh, factor in the people who worked on it at Retro, so many of them it being their first ever job in the gaming industry, much in the way that, like, GoldenEye with, with Rare, that team was so completely green that they... I guess maybe they just hadn't learned enough bad old tricks, you know, and, and instead all they could do was innovate, 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 innovate. And I was just blown away, blown away how by making that game look as modern as they made it, it felt like a game that could have come out, in most ways anyway, that could have come out this year and been like a real big talk of the town kind of game. Uh, you know, maybe they could have thrown in some fast travel to make our 2023 brains a little happier. They didn't quite go that far with it but god damn metroid prime is a historically extremely significant game it's it's bonkers how you play metroid prime in 2023 and it still has like a better atmosphere and it plays better as a first person like moving around and jumping experience yeah than basically any first person game does today and there's boss battles in it that are like great spectacle and fun mechanic. Like it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah, they really, really did something special with that one. Like, and the whole concept of the scan visor feels like something that if you saw it in a new game in 2023, you'd think, "Wow, what a really nifty and cool way to integrate like lore details into your game." And they did it that feels shit like a boutique. It, it feels like a boutique mechanic that, like, a cool indie studio would do. You know what Big I mean? Big time. Yeah. Um, hey, guys, I got to step away for one second before I talk about my number five. Just give me one Should second. we stretch for time? Let's, 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 let's NNPSL yeah. tradition. Yeah, it's a half. Time. Yeah. How about this? It's halftime, so go ahead and just shoot the shit. Oh, man, Ryan, video games, right? Video games are so cool, dog. I was just playing What's your What's your most games. anticipated game of next year? Is it FF7 Rebirth? It's FF7 Rebirth. Yeah, and yeah, as yeah. As much as I want to kind of, you know, have fun and be like, my most anticipated game of next year is the 3D Mario game that'll launch alongside the Switch 2 in August <laughs> or whatever. Like, uh, Let's call it what it is. Even if they were to announce that right now, it would still be FF7 Rebirth. Golly. Uh- yeah, I'm I'm sure that game's going to be amazing. And also, I would say like I'm also eyeing Bennett Foddy's Baby Steps for next year. Yeah, I I've always like been a fan of Bennett Foddy. Bennett Foddy, I think, is one of the most unique uh, video game brains working, and I'm so happy that he continues to do his weird thing. Uh, and then I also am uh, hoping that this rumored Monster Hunter game gets announced soon. Uh, because, boy, I'd love to play a new Monster Hunter game next year. That'd be fucking sick to do that, for sure. Definitely. Uh, and I also really, I'm just crossing my fingers that I've not put my goodwill and my hope uh, in the wrong basket, but I, I really am hoping that Avowed uh, kind of blows me away. Because, I mean, I have... the, the pitch of giving Obsidian lots of money and time to make a game as good as they want to make it is really exciting 
at the same time, any team operating under Microsoft Studios, uh, they, it can go it, clearly. It can really go wrong. So I, I'm prepared for that curse to continue. I have I have an uncharacteristically good feeling about Avowed in that mm. I haven't really loved anything that they've shown from it, and yet I have this weird feeling where I'm like, that's a game that could be excellent. I mean, it's going to be full of Obsidian characters and ideas, you know? So at the very least, there's going to be, like, great people and weird things to explore, you know? But so was Outer Wilds, and I didn't think that game was particularly great. Yeah, but that again comes down to then it's always this is always the excuse, but that comes down to a publisher pushing them to put it out like two years yeah. earlier than it needed and, to come and out. I, I do feel differently about Avowed so far. I feel like it's looking good. Hey, here's a fun conversation. Infamous video game leak man, Nate Drake, mm. says that Xbox will have a gigantic announcement at the game awards. What could that even be? What could that even be? I have... Activision related? Do you think that they're throwing some team on Banjo? Because Maybe what else that's could it. They even, what else do they have in their roster? What do they... Yeah, what like, do they even know, have that could deal. trend? I feel like... Which is funny to say because they've done nothing but acquire IP for the last decade. They haven't made any games. <laughs> And yet I'm sitting here thinking, what do they even have in their deck of cards that would get people hyped? I guess Banjo, yeah. They, they really could just do like a CG trailer of like an archaeologist in a pyramid and he pulls up like a jiggy. Maybe Nate Drake is like sucking some major corporate cock right now and it's just going to be like, every Call of Duty game is on Game Pass now or something Starfield like that. DLC. <laughs> Yeah, you guys aren't going to believe it. You, there's an animation that plays that takes you straight from space to the planets when you land now. Yo, what? That'll cut out like a whole two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm definitely curious to see what the uh, the world premieres are at the Game Awards this year. But also, I'm just kind of interested to see how the awards shake out. We have not talked about the game that I have a lot of goodwill going into this, and it's not even my number one ranked game of the year. But, like, there's a game that I would love to see be heavily awarded and a certain auteur creator have a lot of stage time uh, to I'm speak sure in a Kojima distinctive accent. <laughs> I, 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 I agree. I think this is maybe the first time where I've absolutely been more excited about the actual awards portion over the yeah. idea of what could be announced. Just because, because it was such like, a fucking stacked-on, stacked-on, stacked year. All three of us might have the same top three in this, <laughs> in this I list. know, I know. And all three of those games equally feel like they could take any big award at this you show. Couldn't, you and, could not really argue against any of them taking the, the top honor, really. really you could like, And it's, it's just exciting, because you know that no matter which of these three gets gets it you'll be like yeah cool and there were obviously you know like games you would prefer to win it over other games just totally. because the narrative would be more interesting but yeah because there there are definitely some underdogs just in terms of like the scrappy people behind the games you know uh yeah, like were, but yeah if I, any other year i'd walk into the game awards and be like i really want this game to win 
and that's pretty much all I'm thinking. Sure, yeah. Now, it's much more interesting this year. It is interesting, and it's so. It's also so funny to me the way that a game that has not been mentioned on this episode up until this very moment while we stretch for time, uh, it's so interesting to me that Marvel Spider-Man 2... I was 2, just about to bring this up. I know, is is <laughs> nominated in so many categories and also made it to the final player's choice uh, selection, which I think just owes to the fact that it was like the most heavily marketed game of the year outside of maybe Tears of the Kingdom and, uh, you know, had a huge reach for casual gamers because uh, everybody knows about Spider-Man, you know what I mean? That's kind of what I figure. Uh, well, I played this one, so I'm voting for it factor it's i think it's maybe quietly the most interesting of all the interesting stories going into this game awards is that spider-man 2 is absolutely the probably the most popular game as far as like the amount of casuals who have picked it up and played it and liked it Mm -hmm. game on this list and it is also the game that it got really good scores like it's not like critics didn't like it yeah it reviewed well and yet it feels like nobody gives a shit about it as like it feels like it's not in the conversation at all at all i mean certainly not to to people who have played some of these other titles i feel like you know whenever i see it show up on a top 10 list with those like usually from a large publication with those other kind of crazy groundbreaking 2023 games i'm like does this do you really do you really think this game belongs on the list with these other ones? You know? Yeah, I think I saw it on Times top ten list today. It was like number eight, and it just felt like it was there because if you don't put Spider Man in your top ten, someone's gonna yell at you on Twitter. Right. Yeah, and it's and it's a concession too because obviously Hogwarts Legacy is the second best selling game of the year, uh, and literally nobody is talking about that in their uh, end of year lists. We all were kind of. A shame. Those of us who bought it, not myself, not included, were a little bit ashamed to do it, and uh, it seems like everybody has been willing to very quickly move on from the conversation when it comes to Hogwarts Legacy. It, it was very funny when that game released to see a lot of like people, like you know, big name like influencers or whatever, talking about how great it was, and be like, I don't care if you want to follow me because I'm supporting the Hogwarts game. It's going to dominate the end of the year game of the year conversations and I don't want to miss out on this huge cultural moment and right. absolutely nobody cares about it anymore. Memory hold. Completely memory hold. Fire Emblem Three Houses remains the best Harry Potter game ever made. I'd agree. Although I did like that GameCube Chamber of Secrets game. You talking about <laughs> oh, uh, that is a classic. Flipendo Hog Hogwarts Legacy. Yeah, we are. Hell yeah. Uh yeah, sorry there was a emergency with my my child but it's all good hey everyone's um, okay we're all okay everybody's happy yeah the good news um, is uh we did an immaculate job stretching for time and you've been your <laughs> listeners have been gifted with incredible content in your absence i i am super excited uh, Dylan, to, to hear what you guys podcast actually no <laughs> absolutely not. absolutely not yeah it's number five i'm talking about of course dylan's number eight Sea of Stars. Wait, my number eight? Your number eight is Sea of Stars, is it not? Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I got that. I For some reason, I forgot where I was and what I was doing. Yes, it was. Yes. Your number five is Sea of Stars, which means we finally get to talk about Sea of Stars. We can talk about it. So, if you like 
RPGs that are inspired by Chrono Trigger as well as the Super Mario RPG slash Paper Mario slash Mario and Luigi series of RPGs with the timing based mechanics then you'll like this game it's developed by Sabotage Studios uh, the people who made The Messenger which is one of my favorite games uh, of the past few years came out in 2018 it's technically a prequel to The Messenger uh, and kind of in the same universe but aside from Persona 5 Royal this was the best RPG that I played this year so far uh, uh, and I just I really loved it um, a lot of Garl is uh, the best boy he's one of the best Garl sidekicks a, oh man is he good what yeah, a lovable chap Garl is great. Um, I ended up really liking the. Uh, there's this like mini game that you can play uh, in each of the taverns. I am completely Wheels. blanking. Wheels, Wheels. That is the name of the game. I yeah. ended up actually really enjoying playing Wheels uh, at the. Join Triple Triad in the annals of great JRPG uh, side games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just the, some of the music, I, I really enjoyed the music. Uh, some tracks obviously are better than others, but I think overall, I, I just, I reached a point when I first started playing it, I was like, okay, this game's fine. And I was kind of going bouncing back between that and a few other games. But then at a certain point, it really, really hooked me and I had to, um, you know, see it through the end. In, in my opinion, I just I I loved it. I I had a really good time with it. Um, it it definitely leans on its influences quite a bit, but not in a bad way. Uh, there are some parts that reminded me of Golden Sun a little bit. Uh, and yeah, so, a lot of the platformy, dungeonery stuff. Yeah, puzzling and all that kind of stuff is very Golden Sun too. Yeah. Um, I okay, sure. I have a lot of stuff I'd love to say about Sea of Stars. First of all, there's a sequence in Sea of Stars that, in, that probably about two hours of gameplay that encompasses Garl baking a loaf of bread, and I thought it was like one of the most beautiful, uh, emotionally involving, winning, enchanting, heartwarming uh, sections of any JRPG ever. Um, there are two characters also in Sea of Stars, uh, uh, Aferol and Rishan. Is that the other one's name? Uh, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, who are sort of one is technically on the side of the protagonists and one is the big bad of the game. And their relationship together and their motives and ideas and movements are so interesting to me and so unique um you know like the 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 one who is quote unquote your buddy his actual movements are so kind of alien to you and his his thoughts are so sort of you're a, he's a god and you're a human that like even though he's working with you he's like frustratingly not working with you in some ways and like uh has this really rich complicated relationship with the big dad of the game and the very few moments in the game where those two cross paths and interact together is so compelling uh and so interesting and i think that also you know the messenger was kind of a a game that used some big crazy gimmicks to like use a game to think about the history of games and like meta uh 
<clears throat> you know, look at the 8-bit versus the 16-bit era stuff going on in the Messenger. And in a different and less gimmicky way, uh, obviously, Sea of Stars is looking at the JRPG, but it's also not winking that much. There's like little things where they're like, haha, we're doing this JRPG trope, but they're very little. Uh, for the most part, the game just very earnestly tells its story, serves its characters. Um, I, th I don't necessarily think all of those characters are, are equally built and fleshed out, uh, but the ones that connected with me really connected with me. I thought the combat, the combat was something I saw people online complaining about it being too simple, maybe. Uh, I actually, for most of the game, really enjoyed the combat and how the lock system worked of, like, trying to put together the right combination of moves to stop a really powerful attack from happening and in in that, in doing so, building up your combo meter, which builds up your ultimate attack meter. Like, I thought the juggling of all that felt really good. However... I will say that at a certain point, I figured out that the pirate girl, I can't remember her name, it's like Safine or something. Um, Marie Rose. Uh, the pirate girl in that game has a synergy with Rashawn, the alchemist character. I don't know if you've discovered this in the game, Brandon, but I, very quickly I figured out that you could use those two characters to basically like permanently stun lock any boss in that game and like really? slowly build yeah and build your combo meter and and build to an ultimate every time while you do it so like i hate i wouldn't hold that as a criticism against the uh battle system because it always bugs me when people are like hey i found this super cheesy exploit that trivializes your game that's your fault that it's bad so obviously i could have just not done that but it, but after i figured that out it did like really remove the thinking and strategy from the combat of that game for sure um that's crazy because i never like knew of that and just went through the game as like you know dealing with like the normal stuff that would happen and you know not yeah so i this is going to be a few here's like one minute of content that's for nobody but you brandon but <laughs> uh you know she has that one move disorient that delays the uh enemy's attack mm -hmm. um so you can cast disorient give her uh items that like lower mp cost and give her more mp and use disorient uh, you know, time your combos and your defense so that your combo meter is going up. Once you have two stars of combo, use her combo attack with uh, Rashan, where uh, he throws out flask that she kicks at the enemy, which mm -hmm. also delays their turn and boosts your ultimate meter really high. And then always only use Rashan's ultimate because it does comparable damage to the to every enemy to everybody else's ultimate it heals your whole party and it also delays the attack of the enemy so if you just keep doing that over and over again like the, you just don't get attacked it's super broken that's insane to me um, yeah i mean like I, I don't know i don't even know how hard the end game super boss challenges of that game are really because i didn't really experience it on that level that's on me i don't hold that against the game uh developers but i you know i it left me with a lot of interesting thoughts and questions the way that it ties back to the messenger seems really interesting and makes me want to go back and finish the messenger i don't know how i feel about certain characters having kind of incomplete arcs in the story because it sets up 
what they go on to do in the messenger like yes you know eons and eons later yeah so it's like the to me that was the payoff um because like i ultimately was able to circle back and like remember like what they did in the messenger but like obviously like if you come away from it the context isn't necessarily there which like isn't like wholly necessary but like it makes that like payoff. Tell better. me if this was a problem for you at all, Brandon, or if this was something you were, were noticing. So the two uh, sub antagonists, the other Solstice Warriors, um, mm-hmm. I felt like their motives did not really check out for me in terms of their actions. Like the kind of people they were shown to be in the moments where you get to see their kind of origin stories or whatever did not really feel like those two would end up where they end up in the story. Like they're doing some like overtly super evil shit that it, I don't know that I was sold that they would do. Yeah. I'm kind of of a similar mindset that like they, I, I get what they were going for. It also doesn't why... help that one of those character arcs is like, then you can go see what he did later in the messenger and you don't really get like the big payoff for them. For me. Yeah. It was. A yeah. Of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Once the thing is like, I, I, when I the payoff for one of those characters, when I saw that, I did like the Leo point, you know, I was like, oh, oh shit, yeah, 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 yeah. So like, I think having that context definitely makes it a little more better. But like, yeah, I think like the way that those characters were written and kind of portrayed, I didn't, it didn't feel. I guess them their heel turn didn't necessarily feel fully earned on their part. But you oh, know, are you it, still there? It, it is what it is. Um. Are you there, buddy? I okay. lost you. We got four more games each that we wanted to. Hang on one second, buddy. I lost you for a second. Are you am I here? Oh. Yeah, you're here. Can you hear me? Okay, sorry about that. One Don't more thing before we move on. It. One more thing before we move on from Sea of Stars, just because it's okay. it's crazy sure. that it, we didn't even mention it. Maybe the most beautiful pixel art in the history of video games. Oh, like th- fan- that game is so gorgeous. It's yeah. stunning. That's my my single thought on Sea of Stars. Uh, I have never touched it, but I think oh. it is probably the best looking game that came out this year. It to is the point, definitely one to of, the point yeah. that like sometimes during big moments of that story, they'll cut to like an anime cut scene, and every single time I'm like, doesn't look as good as that pixel art. <laughs> the pixel <laughs> art is so beautiful that it's really there, hard to top. There's one moment that happens towards like the mid end of the game that I won't spoil. That is just like, who. Oh yeah, real yeah. crazy. I know. I think I know what you're talking about. It. Yeah, like, yeah. That's yeah. an insane visual moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Final four. We're in the home stretch, fellas. Oh boy. Probably gonna, we're probably gonna be doing some some table in here. Serious table. I have a feeling. Coming up. So, uh, Dylan, go ahead and tell us. I'm gonna put this little is. basin for my tears on the table because my number four is Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom, and it's not time to talk about that yet. No, we are going to have to table that. Uh, Ryan, what is your uh, number four? My number four is a wonderful game called Super Mario Brothers Wonder. We, uh, that is also my number four, but we're going to have to table that. You're going to have to table it. This is a whole round of tables. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Almost uh, a round table, if you will. <laughs> instead of a round robin. Uh, so that hmm. gets us into, Dylan, your number three. Which is... Oh, I'm so glad we can finally pay off this plot thread. We finally <laughs> now get to talk about Super Mario Bros. Wonder. 
Finally. I've been waiting all Which day. Which is right over three of the year. Hell yeah. Jumping in it. Uh, yeah, I mean, look. Uh, on this very podcast, you and I have spoken at length about when is Nintendo going to do 2D Mario? When do we get a new 2D Mario? 2D Mario, 2D Mario. You know, it represents some of the biggest classics in the Nintendo library. It had its stagnation period of getting stuck in the uh, the new Super Mario Brothers uh, mechanics and art style. And then we see this cool hyper-animated style. This game is announced. We get our hands on it. And the thing... The reason that it's here is I've just felt such excitement and joy for every moment I have my hands on this thing. The game is constantly trying to figure out a way to surprise you, to throw something new at you. It's so overflowing with ideas and color and personality that, like, uh, I just, I, I, nothing made me happier all year. I just was, <clears throat> it was like a fucking ice cream sundae of a game. Uh, that never stopped throwing out new shit. There's a moment where you've beaten all of the worlds and you have a little gauntlet of levels to lead up to the final boss. Each one of those levels has new mechanics to introduce to you. To the fact that, like, if you just took all the shit it introduces in World 1, you would probably have enough ideas to fill a whole Mario game with them and just iterate on them for the rest of the game. But it says, no, sorry, fuck you. This enemy who does this really cool thing, you're not going to see him again because we have way too many things to show you in this Mario game. And I was just, like, really in love. with. I felt like I was in conversation with the creatives behind this game. I was receiving all of their energy, and I felt like, you're all geniuses. You all did a great job. I wish I could give you all a gold star. This was uh, such a joy. Hell yeah. This, to me... This is one of the best Mario platformers I've played ever. It's so fucking good. It if somebody just... told you that Mario Wonder was their favorite Mario game, does any part of you want to go, are you serious? Really? Not this no. one, though? What about I, this I one? I completely get it. I completely yeah. get like that. Like To me, it has me questioning if I like it more than Super Mario World, which is like... I do. Like, what I consider to be the pinnacle of video games is, to me, that is the perfect video game. Um, so, it's like, Super Mario Wonder does so many cool shit, and the ideas don't overstay their welcome. I love this game, even with the final, final level giving me as much grief as it did. <laughs> I I spent literal hours on that fucking level. Um, what was the worst one? Which was the one that you had the most trouble with in that whole gauntlet? I think because I did it so much that a lot of the stuff became easier over time. But I feel like the room, uh, the invisible, the invisible room at the very end that gave me a lot with of the fucking, a lot the bubble jump, the the yeah. fish jump section of yep. it. Nightmare. That that was an absolute nightmare. The running where you had to keep running to then jump. Uh, that was a, l a little bit of a struggle. The the dash in the swimming room, that, that gave me a little the bit of grief. The bouncing with the fucking fire columns gave me a lot of grief. I had a rough time with that one. Bouncing yes, that between the little blocks with the fucking circle fire. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was an insane Kaizo uh, cherry on the on the top of Mario <laughs> Wonder that was truly uh, crazy. And and the payoff honestly isn't that worth it, but it was still the the payoff to me. It's was a funny troll. That level. It's like yeah. a funny it's, troll. 
Between yeah. you know? that and like, uh, what's his name from Breath of the Wild giving you a literal piece of dog shit for yeah. finding all the Korok seeds. I think totally. it's been really good this generation that like, fucking why with did your you completionist. Here's your reward, you freak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. But no, so so good, fantastic. Ryan, One of the best feeling it. game. Let's yeah. hear. Let's Tell. hear you preach. It's I want to hear you talk about Wonder. It's astonishing. It's a remarkable achievement. I think it's the best 2D Mario game that's ever been made. Um, I think its only real problem, aside from maybe being a little talkier than I'd like, um, when you're talking to the toads in their houses or whatever. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, is that, like you said, there are so many ideas that sometimes you wish, oh, I wish that enemy would come back and they do another cool level with that, but they have so many more things to put you through that they don't. Okay, but fair but, Ryan, what about Mario Maker Wonder Mode? I'll believe it when I see it. Give it if give it, it comes, to me. though, dude, if it if it happens, though, dude, fucking day one, best game ever. I'll make a whole game's worth of those weird, like, isometric walking on the background levels. <laughs> totally, yeah. Th- that's the thing we didn't even really talk about, was too, was the wonder effect. Just, like, all of the crazy shit that oh my goes God, yeah. in to that and all the really cool ideas that they did with, with each level. And I just love how like later in the game, a lot of it like comes back. Um, yeah, they it's, do it's nice. the iteration thing a lot with the wonder effects near the end of the game. And it's always mm-hmm. in a really fun, exciting way too. Yeah. Just I some can't top. Tell you how, how jazzed I was when I found out that one of the like special world courses was a, really well-designed platform and gauntlet for the spiky rollerball that you guys I know. earlier. I know. Oh, so God. Stoked. Yeah, that was insane. All the special world levels were insane, uh, but very, very fun. Um, the one that I see get posted a lot is the uh, the music, where the music's going faster. It's like the, the blocks block coming. one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, hardcore that one I... one's hardcore. That's the first time that game really asserts itself as a you better be fucking sharp to play this mm-hmm. Mario game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ryan. I was a big fan of the the first time I realized that this game was going to kind of try to dick you around a little bit. Yeah. Was that uh, that five-star Bull Rush Express level hidden in World 1. Oh, oh yeah. You get to the end of that and realize and then you're that stuck. they you're want fucked. you to have an elephant suit that isn't in the level. <laughs> so now you have to leave and come back and do it again without getting hit. Yep. Loved it. Yeah, that's so great. Good. Hell that, yeah. That's one of those moments where that there are a few moments in that game where you really feel like you're almost playing a Mario Maker level. Like there's one that's very involved with keys and doors late in the I game. I loved that level. Really that good so level. Awesome. I felt like I was playing like a Super Mario Two ROM hack or something. Totally. Yeah. There's there's moments where they're like, you know what? Let's make a real weird. This barely feels like a real Mario level. This is a, the whole thing is this gimmick thing that's always really fun when it happens. Uh, I will say that World Four in this game, the desert world, is probably the best two or so hours of any game that I played this year. It is. It rocks. Yeah. There's a lot Mario of good game. shit in that Every one. Every level is brilliant. I could not believe what I was playing. Big winner. Big big winner, um, Ryan. Number three. Uh, I gotta. Three. I gotta know what your number three is. Uh, I'm putting a big table out at this campsite because my number three is Baldur's Gate three. Oh man, oh, are you yeah. gonna fucking you... ogre over that table? 
You're gonna I'm you're gonna, gonna get have to buy an ogre over this table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to table that bad boy. Uh, yeah. And I know that I'm gonna have to bust this table out because my number three is holy shit. I, I can't wait to talk about this game. Uh, Alan Wake Two Hell is yeah, my number brother. three. So We're, Dylan, we have three games left to talk about today, and they're all fucking super hardcore bangers. So they're yeah, they're all for games sure. that I could close my eyes and give this award to, and that I could also put in my top five games ever made. Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. So Dylan. With that in mind, what is your number two of the year? My number two of the year is Alan Wake 2. And I don't know if I get to talk about it. Well, I I know I don't get to talk about it because uh, Ryan hasn't said the words Alan Wake 2 yet. And we don't know yet when he's going to. So I'll just say, put Alan Wake 2 on the table. My number two of the year. I gotta say, I thought a lot about this, but it is Alan Wake 2. All right, okay. we did it. It's so Alan now, Wake 2 time. Now we can talk about this fucking absolutely what a unit. fucking masterpiece, dude. Oh, my God. The most distinct, the most assertive of its own unique vibe and character game of the year, and one of the greatest narrative games ever, and my favorite horror game of all time. Let's talk about Alan Wake 2. It's fucking insane. Okay, so I want to ask, so... You both have history with this series. That's I right. do not. This is this is my first foray into this this uh, this universe. So I want to ask you both, with your history in mind, do you feel like d- did that enhance this game for you at all, or was it just like nah, fuck all that shit? Like it did. I'll- it did. I would say the most the the most the things that I most got out of it was just returning characters. Uh, being like, oh my god, I can't believe... I'm so happy to see this person. Or, oh god, I can't believe this happened to this person. Like, there was that stuff. Um, I, control, in terms of being mandatory study material for Alan Wake 2, is very played up, in my opinion. You just kind of need to understand the bureaucracy of the FBC, and you're good, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I don't... The, my problem is that I don't think Alan Wake 1 is a good game. <laughs> I was never a huge fan of it back in the day. Uh and um you know i think everything that it dreamt of doing it doesn't even begin to graze the way that alan wake 2 does so you know i caution people to run out and buy alan wake remastered and try to sit through that fucking game uh all the way so that they can play alan wake 2 i don't know that that's really the best way to do that i uh alan wake 1 was my first remedy game and i loved it at the time, I got super into it. I was I played it multiple times. I got all the coffee thermoses. I was jazzed up on it. And then it sort of went away for me. I did not play that weird, like, American Nightmare side game that they put out. I've never even, right. like, seen footage of it. It just didn't come across my desk at all. Um, but I always kind of had a little soft spot in my heart for good old writer uh, Alan Wake. And when I found out they were making a sequel, I was tentatively excited because I played Control. And I liked Control, but I probably liked it a little less than most people did. I probably put that game right around a 7 or so. Mm-hmm. And yeah, game... I think that's pretty fair. Like, it definitely has some moments that are really kind of gorgeous or interesting. Uh, 
but it it never quite feels like it's it's batting at the level of its premise. Yeah, I agree. Its premise is definitely the most interesting thing about it. Uh, I, I played the Alan Wake DLC for that game, and I thought it was pretty resolutely the worst thing in that game. Sure. Um, so a lot of my that I never touched. Alan I only Wake played the the base game. We're like, oh, you know, whatever. You know, I'm I. It's a thing that I loved when I was younger, and I wanted a sequel so bad, but. This DLC is not, it's not it, it's not hitting. So I guess, you know, whatever they do, I guess I'll, I'll be, I'll take a look at it. Right. Alan Wake 2 got announced, and I did not take a look at it, because I was like, well, if I'm going to play a sequel to Alan Wake, I just kind of want to go in there and not really know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And it started getting astonishing reviews, and I was very fortunate to get to play it, and... It just blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. So, uh, to go back to your question about how, you know, having a history with the series enhanced my feelings for this game, I would say the primary impact it had on me was having this giddy little feeling of looking back to, you know, 13 years younger Ryan Hughes and being like, bro, Mm -hmm. you are going to be so stoked (laughs) in 13 years. (laughs) Because they do make a sequel to this game that it felt like only you liked, and everybody loves it. How sp- how spoiler considerate should we be in this discussion? What's the okay. what's the temperature okay. check on that? Okay, there's so much. Okay, there's so much shit that I do want to talk about. We could easily do a but, whole NNPXL about yeah. Alan Wake too. Yeah, easily. yeah. I I, I, and, I and I kind of. I kind of want to. Oh, yeah, no. It, Alan Wake Remaster runs like ass on Switch, apparently. So it's it like. like ass on PS5. Yeah, so. Okay, well, uh, that's that's good. At least it's not just Nintendo. But I highly doubt Alan Wake 2 will uh, come to Switch. But. I, I mean, because there's, there's so many. Because, like I said, I don't have any history with this, this series, but I, I came away from this playing this game had my top two not come out, this probably would have been my game of the year. Totally. Honest to God. It is absolutely insane. Like this game, the writing is phenomenal. The music is incredible. There, there, it has my favorite musical moment from any video game. Definitely this year, possibly ever. Yeah, I mean, there's How a, there's spectacular a, a, is it that this game has the best musical moment in a year where Mario Wonder exists? I, right, totally. Yeah, and I the the thing that I that the first thing that like really grabbed me about this game. I live in the Pacific Northwest. It's just like when you're wandering around in the woods in the mud with the autumn leaves on the ground. It's scary but beautiful. The atmosphere is so thick and so oppressive and so otherworldly. Like, it's it. I just never felt quite so transported by a, a, a game by its its visual and its tone. Uh, and then you fill that world with all of these great, lovable, interesting, weird ass characters. But then also, it's genuinely fucking scary too. Like it's it's, it's campy at times. It's crazy, but it's also like like gets under your skin in a way. Also, 
and it it really runs the gamut of horror too. Everything from extremely slow building atmospheric dread to outrageous like YouTube clickbait jump scares. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's got it all, and it all works. And 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 you want to talk about like game auteurs? I really think this is a big moment for Sam Lake asserting yeah. himself as like one of the most distinct, audacious, fascinating voices in video games. And he's been at it for a long time, mm-hmm. writing mm-hmm. scenario, trying to push the medium forward in like multimedia ways. And I, I don't know if it's just having put in enough time to learn all of from all of his mistakes or if it's technology catching up with vision, but like I just came away from this uh, suddenly a super fan of a guy who I've played like five of his games and thought they were all pretty okay. Uh, but now I'm just, I would hold him up there with all those names that you think when you think video game auteur. And even though it's not my number one of the year, it's kind of the game that I would be most excited to see win game of the year at the game awards, just because like seeing Sam Lake get up there and accept that award and thinking about like all of the themes that he tried to work with in this game about the the role of the artist, the artist's contentious work with his own art, and like the feeling that you're not in control of your own art, and that and that uh, you might be forced to make choices with something you're creating that like on a love on a deep level you wish you weren't making, but like it's the only thing that makes sense, it's the only thing that feels right or true, like. It's a game about making art by a guy who's been doing it for a long time, sometimes very sloppily, <laughs> and it's just, it's such a great creator-to-product uh, relationship. He's doing all that weird shit like, oh, I, I'll have a detective voiced by the voice of Mac, Max Payne, modeled after my face, who Max Payne was was modeled after, but I'll have Alan Wake be writing his dialogue, but I'm writing Alan Wake, so I'm also writing his dialogue. Like, there's all that, there's all that like, super wacky, Sam Lakey shit going on. Mm-hmm. But man, it's just so cool. What about when you get back from the fucking, the end of the movie theater chapter, and you get into the fucking cinema, and then suddenly on the screen, that thing happens. Like, it's, what the I fuck? believe it and every single second that was happening i was expecting it to end and it just didn't <laughs> it just, he just fucking went for it he did the whole thing i i just a mind-blowing game even the little the little things like there's a moment very early in the game where you go to your first uh overlap and there's this very, I thought, you know, very cool looking, but also kind of strange visual effect, where like oh the yeah, top the double projection, the tree line is lit in bright red, but the bottom half of the tree line is lit totally normally, and it's very disconcerting and bizarre. Yeah, very looking. weird. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to that area at the end of the game, and you go past the, like an alarm station where the siren is going off. And that coats the environment in the exact same way, but now there's a practical source for it, and it just sort of hits you like a ton of bricks, and you're just kind of racing back through your thoughts on like, oh, that was so cool. It's just, everything in this game feels tied together. Everything in this game feels intentional and smart and made both from a narrative standpoint and a game design standpoint. 
and it all comes together in ways that will be blowing people away, I think, for a very long time. Uh, this is my number two on my list, but I would probably say it's the best game that came out this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's certainly it's certainly like the 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 most singular game of the year for sure. And mm-hmm. like, I keep thinking about these people in this game. I keep thinking like Alan and Saga, but also Casey and Rose and Torin Odin and Ilmo and Yako. And really, one of the hallmarks of autorism in gaming is you feel how much the creator loves and cares about those characters and wants to make sure that they all get a chance to assert themselves, that you come away knowing their interiors the way that Sam knows their interiors. There's like one little moment right near the end with Torin Odin that's like funny, stupid, and touching uh, when they make a decision to go and help another character that like you just feel Sam's love for those two in that moment. You know what I mean? I agree. I think it says a lot. To, in agreeing to what you're saying about these characters, um, I've been listening these past couple of days on my commutes to uh, the website Giant Bomb. They're doing their Game of the Year deliberations. Oh, yeah. And they do, like, different categories. Like, what's the best traversal in a game this year? What's the best, like, visual style in a game this year? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And one of their categories this year was, what are the top three best characters in Alan Wake 2? <laughs> <laughs> that and honestly let's do that let's all do that oh let's pick oh, our top fuck. three okay jesus this is gonna be hard because there's so many good i know characters. there are it's, yeah, I know it's there are. in no order it's mr door uh ilmo and Yako as a duo sure and rose i love it um i would say I'll just I'll take Ilmo and make a hard choice and and take Ilmo. I'm also not going to rank it. Sophie's choice uh, right there. Yeah, I know. I feel like you really do need both of them for those characters to work. Mm-hmm. Here's a here's a curveball <laughs> I'm going to throw at you for my yeah. for one of my top three. I'm going to throw Tim Breaker in there. I thought about Tim Breaker a lot too. He's Tim, I love him. Yeah, he's, he's so good. He's a very there's something that's so sympathetic about that guy. <laughs> Uh, I I feel really bad to for what happens to him, but then he I just love that he he just rolls with it. And he's like, yep, he's I, he's I, in a situation and he's gonna fucking do what he can. I found know? out that the character Tim Breaker is played by an actor from Quantum Break who plays a character named Time Breaker. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's insanely Sam Lake core. And then I'll go I'll go. Uh, Tor for my number three because I really do feel like so much more in Tor than I thought they would be for sure and a lot of it is communicated through his art which uh, is a a very rich way that they that they look I almost wanted to put Ati in there just for how much I love you yeah I I feel Uh, like Ati is such like is like the remedy Iron Man to the point where I kind of can't consider him an Alan Wake 2 character I know, yeah, yeah. But he he is he's, fantastic he's, in this. He's awfully good at it. But yeah, I'll go Torres my number three. Okay, Brandon, you got three Alan Wake characters for me. Oh God, um, I'm gonna say okay since nobody has said her, I'm gonna say Saga Anderson, um, incredible protagonist. I <clears throat> really loved playing a Saga. Um, Casey really, loved Casey. So really loved, game. really he's loved really Casey. Good. 
I just, yeah, every, everything to do, like all the shit that you do with him in, in, in the, uh, in the uh i almost called it the underdark but that's not what it is the dark uh, place the dark place uh with with him involved is 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 incredible um and then man uh it, it's tough it's so fucking tough but i yeah. i i i kind of really liked what they did with um alan wake's wife how they sort of presented that oh, stuff. Oh man, I couldn't um, fucking yes. believe it. <laughs> yeah. First of all, maybe the best, maybe the best single piece of acting in that game for her, like talking head to camera <clears throat> stuff. Uh, yeah, it's so emotional, so chilling, and yeah, she has some moments in that game that are extremely impactful. Can we? Can we also just for a second talk about like the live like action, like the the live parts of this? The I don't know. <laughs> totally. No, normally, I find that stuff to be really like hokey and corny, but the way that they pulled it off in this game is absolutely incredible. I'm, I I, just, I came away from it super impressed. Remedy has been doing this since Max Payne. They've been doing this for such a long time with their a live long time. Bits. Yeah. And this is the first time where it felt like everything they were doing with their visual presentation congealed into just absolutely working 100%. And every time it happens, you really lean forward because, like, you know something fucking wild is happening right now. And you're always like, something... right. Every time, live, whether it's, like, in, like, a video playing on a television or in like a long story sequence or like live action characters showing up integrated into the traditional gameplay it's always one of the most memorable moments of the game yeah oh the, yeah that the the end of the first time you get to his wife's apartment the the transition where they show mr scratch on the screen to the end of chapter like is so fucking hard that is like the hardest cut. I felt it in my bones. There's a moment in that same sequence where the light behind Alice starts like to flicker as she's talking about Mr. Scratch. Yeah. And timed synced up with that is the light in the room that you're standing in flickering off and on. So sick. And I was like put the controller down in disbelief at how much I was absolutely loving what I was seeing. You can't say enough about the presentation. This is like maybe yeah. the most beautiful game of all time. It looks incredible. And oh, not only absolutely. from a perspective is it just an astonishing achievement with how good its visuals are, but its art direction. They throw it's a aesthetic. lot of pastel colors in there. A the lot, of, lot of strange architecture and dark place. New York is such a visually fascinating, one, probably distinct the thing. Best looking thing I've ever seen in the game is that is dark place. New York. The graffiti's yeah. everywhere. Is so good. Alan Wake. Wake. I ride, I ride. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, and I love how you're getting that kind of Lynchian uh, nightmare, but you're also getting the twin, the like less nightmare Lynch Twin Peak stuff. You're getting that Charlie Kaufman meta stuff. You're getting some True Detective. And you mentioned Saga as one of your top three and didn't didn't expound on it super, but I, the thing that makes Saga so great is she's in a real predicament. She has a complex inner life, but she is at her core 
somebody who believes in her abilities and who is an optimist. And mm-hmm. there's something that's like so affirming as that game gets darker and darker that she's challenged over and over again and always seems to find it in herself to say, you know what? No, there's, there's a, as long as I can keep putting one foot in front of the next, there's still hope here. And I know that I can just do the best I can. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I also want to uh, a reference to somebody who's not on our top three to uh, Alan Wake, who is maybe my favorite ever portrayal of a video game dude who is stuck in the most fucked up situation you've ever seen. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And he's a flawed guy. He was, you know, before this all happened to him, he wasn't a great dude. He's also not a great writer, which the game has a lot of fun with. Like. Yeah. He sometimes gets off like a really lovely, he'll turn a phrase every now and then where you're like, that's lovely, Alan. That was really (laughs) nice there. But also he's like such a hack, hard boiled (laughs) writer, you know? There's there's a great moment in Control where somebody brings up Alan Wake and they're like, what do you think of his books? And the other guy is like, he's an okay writer. Way too many metaphors though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a world that you that you feel so transported into, and I've not stopped thinking about it since I finished it, and I listen to s- certain musical things from it, and I feel all these feelings. We didn't even mention, mention Watery, which is, I think, my favorite video game area uh, oh, of all man. time. When I, I just, so was so terrified. Watery, I just sat there and turned the camera for probably a good ten minutes. It's just so distinct. Yeah, it it watery reminds me of so many towns that are just like around here, even in the Midwest. Like totally, I could go to a town like Watery, and fucking Coffee World scared the absolute <laughs> shit out of me the whole time that I was there. Especially, yeah. Uh, there's a sequence where you end up fighting enemies that I was not, well, it's not that I wasn't prepared for it, but it was just like, I was not expecting it. And it, there's just so many moments in the game like that where it really catches you off guard, but it's like, fuck dude. Like that was crazy. Um, it's also like, there's so many moments where by not, not really departing in the saga stuff. I mean, not really departing from the, the real world spaces that make sense. And that could be found in our world you feel like you're in a fucking Silent Hill game. You know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, It's the best absolutely. Silent Hill game that's been made since Silent Hill 3. Probably yeah, better for sure. games. Probably. I, I don't know what else we can say about it. It's just a fucking... If you're listening to this, go play Alan Wake 2. No matter who you are, play that game. Yeah, There's it's this it's incredible, incredible little sequence. I just want to shout out really quick. This amazing moment of design and atmosphere in the Coffee World section where you show up there... And you just sort of walk around and explore for what feels like 30 minutes. It's probably closer to 5 or 10, but it feels sure. like 30 minutes. And no enemies show up. This entire Nobody. Time it's empty. Walking around. But you feel like every corner is going to have something there. And then there's a moment where, like, uh, the mascot of Coffee World like, has, like, a little laugh track on it. <laughs> And it's oh, the shit out of yeah. you, and it's super memorable, yeah. and you just kind of laugh at yourself and move on. And then, like, an hour later, the game tasks you with finding a laughing sound, and you just yeah. immediately know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. I love it. 
perfect bit of intuitive game design. And I I also thought the way that the Allen, the big Allen levels were were handled with like switching between the different narrative threads to write the story was really cool. I love that and I love that all three of his like big zones where he does that in are all structurally different. Like one of them is like totally. a linear go through it and find your way through and getting new things in every couple of rooms. Another one is like a haunted house sort of thing where you're kind of six six five is a fucking masterpiece. Right oh yeah, and you go around each different areas and try new things. Like there's so much fun stuff they do with these mechanics. Yeah, rocks. I'm okay. gonna play it again. New game plus coming out this uh, this uh, month. I'm gonna play it again. Might come out yeah. on Thursday. I would not be surprised if they dropped out of the game awards. Totally, be a great be a great plan because it's probably gonna win some shit. I don't know what all it'll win, but it's probably gonna win some shit. Oh, it, I it, really. It, this is the game it, I want to win game of the year. It is. It's not my number one rank, but it's the one that I have the most goodwill for. Same. I think it would be me, a monumental moment for the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think it. It's more than deserving of game of the year, totally. uh, especially from the Keelys. Um Okay. So. That was my number three. That was your number two. That yeah. was. Ryan's number two. My number two. Ryan's number two. My number two is Baldur's Gate 3, but we have to table that. We do have to table that for now, yeah. So, <laughs> now, we're in a situation where, Dylan, it's your number one. So, please, game of the year. What is your game of the year it's, for 2023? Look, I, I, I'm not saying I didn't have a conversation in my head about whether or not I could put it on like two over this, but I have never been more total. My life has never been so consumed with thought and playing a game as it was when I played through Baldur's Gate three this year. And I can't wait to talk about it with you boys. It's a special game in a way that no other game I think has really ever been. As a person who likes to write fiction, the thing that it did that was the most astonishing thing to me is it showed me that if you just keep writing, if you just keep filling in your game with ways that it can react to your player, you will create a game world that feels more real than anything a player has ever experienced because no matter what the player tries to do, the game's ready for them to do that. The game is ready for them with content. It's ready to meet them with story, with unique, memorable moments. The the thing that 100% of the people who have played Baldur's Gate 3 and also know somebody who has played Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 3 have in common is that they'll talk to them about the game and it's as if they're talking about a different game because they've gone down completely different roads, seen totally different things, and they both have crazy stories to tell each other from it. And like... It's 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 D and D at its core uh, mechanically, but around every corner, something new to discover, a choice to make that will send you careening down uh, some kind of crazy, uh, memorable, funny, smart, stupid, uh, unique thing. And the other thing that engenders it with as much goodwill as I can possibly give a video game is that I think Larian has has shown more love for its game and the players of its game than possibly any gaming company in history. They're just so they're in conversation with the player. 
they 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 care so much about the player experience and they continue to to bulk and sand and iterate uh and I mean, I you know, I could quote facts and figures at you. For example, the fact that if you take the word count of everything that is that every piece of script in Baldur's Gate three, you end up with something that is three times longer than the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And if you play that game five times, there's still going to be plenty of stuff that you've never seen. And it's like astounding to me how rich and full that that game world is. Nothing like it. Nothing like it at all. For a, a good while after I played this game, I strongly considered this to be my my game of the year, just because of how insane this game is. Like, there's the the amount of choice that that they give you in this game is absolutely staggering. It is yeah. insane how much trust they 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 put in the player to just i don't know what would you do and just like it creates these very unique scenarios something which a real that, dungeon master very rarely does by the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually a dungeon master really has some things they want to make sure you see and do and larian is like just look it's your game find your way through it see what you see yeah and as somebody who like plays D anD D on a weekly basis, like to experience it in this way, it was just so fucking phenomenal. It was it was very, very incredible, and just like this game lends itself to so much re- replayability. Um, looks looks fucking fantastic on the PS five, by the way. Um, <laughs> I own this game twice over. That's how good Me this, too. this game I'm is. An idiot, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like. <laughs> It's another situation where, like, if this game also got Game of the Year from the Keeleys, like, sure, like, I could see that. Of course. Like, it, of course. Like, and, and like you said, like, the care that Larian put into this game and continues to do so with all the patches, with uh, all the community outreach, like, it, they, it's very clear that they, they give a, a shit about Baldur's Gate 3, and they, like... It's not something that they put it out and then they're ready to move on. It's like, no, like they're really working on this to make this like a very pleasurable experience for everyone. And it's just, I don't know, man, like I wasn't even going to like, I was, I had no plans to play this game and no plans. This was to totally play off my radar. This was completely off my radar. Yeah. I, um, I just knew about it because I knew people who played it in early access and they're like, oh, I don't know. It's pretty good. And then it just exploded and everybody was like, you have to play this game. And each of its three acts are such completely different monsters. You know, mm-hmm. act one kind of like gives you the lay of, of the game, its mechanics and what, how reactive the world is. But then like act two hard pivots into horror. And then act three becomes this, like this tense political drama uh, that like with this insane city to think that a huge chunk of that city is cut from the game when there's so much of Baldur's Gate in Baldur's Gate is like makes my fucking head spin. They cut the whole upper city from the game. It's already the biggest, craziest, yawning mouth of a video game city of all time. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, and like 
who knows what else that they're going to bring either bring back or bring in as they keep patching the game like eventually totally. like this will get a definitive edition at some point but i just i don't know i come away with my experience like Baldur's Gate 3 is a game that i like have thought about a lot and i still think about it and i'm like i'm started multiple playthroughs and plan to play through it again because it's just so it's so vast and big it's just you it's just it's so good ryan i'm i'm curious to hear your thoughts on on Baldur's gate totally uh, i am in an interesting situation where i have played maybe 25 30 hours of Baldur's gate 3 uh, on my campaign and then probably 15 hours with you two two wonderful boys and i am less than a third of the way through it and a game that I am less than a third of the way through has no place being in my top three games of the year, uh, or even in my top ten games of the year. But there is such an obvious level of craft and brilliance in every aspect of this game. As soon as you reach the Druid camp right at the beginning of the game, you know exactly what kind of game it's going to be. And you know that it's going to be one of the best games of the year. Yeah, I, the in the, the smallest in the smallest it, possible area you can explore right off the bat. There is more choices to make, more meaningful decisions, both in the narrative and in the way you want to progress your gameplay. Totally. Than pretty much any game ever made has had in its entirety. It does, that first, like, ten hours, I feel like, is so refined, probably from the early access part of the process, where, like, within the first ten hours of that game, you really have touched so, you've, you've touched a lot of what Baldur's Gate 3 is all about. It's tone, uh, it's, it's you know, deep systems, it's dungeoneering, it's combat. Uh, so, yeah, it, it really is kind of like a great, onboarding overview i remember uh my friend maxton was asking me like how long into Baldur's gate 3 does it get good because he hadn't started it yet i'm like dude it's pretty good as soon as you boot it up like it's it's there's not much of an on-ramp there you're going to be playing Baldur's gate 3 and having a good time with it pretty fast yeah it's just one of those games where i haven't played as much of it as i'd like because it's one of those games that i don't have a lot of experience with its genre or its world. I haven't played much D&D. I haven't played many games of its ilk. So I kind of have to warm myself up to it, and that's been difficult to do sometimes. But even as somebody who is not naturally, like, gel with its systems or world at all, it still sticks with you immediately and feels not only good to explore, but good to play. The combat is great. The characters are so much fun. It's it's an unbelievable achievement. Oh, also, yeah. Brandon, I won't I won't spoil it, but if Alan Wake Two had not come out this year, even even taking into account uh, Piranha Plants on Parade, Baldur's Gate Three still would have had my favorite music moment of the year. And I think you mm -hmm. probably know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. It is. Had had like you said, had Alan Wake two not come out, that that moment would have been my favorite musical uh, moment in any video game this year. 
for uh, sure. possibly ever. It is so incredible. Unexpected. It's like a Nintendo and, yeah. move they pull yeah, uh, out of is, nowhere. It's so You'll yeah. get there someday. You'll get there. <laughs> yeah. That whole sequence it, is incredible. It might be my favorite part of the whole game, that, that sequence. Yeah, absolutely. Just the whole aspect of that was was incredible i yeah fantastic whew, baller's gate three man what a game but we're not done boys we aren't because ryan it's your turn to tell me and dylan and the world your number one game of the year number one the legend of zelda tears of the king that is also my number one in my heart of hearts. I had to give it. You know I had to do it to him. It's The Legend of Zelda of Tears of the Kingdom. Dylan, this was your number four. I remember you ultimately, you ultimately being a little bit more cool on this. So I think before as me. Cool as, I, as cool as I can be on what mm-hmm. is a, an absolute benchmark uh masterpiece action adventure game so like let's not go all the way to cool but yeah i mean like i had a few more things that were like asterisks for me but like let's start with the love fest boys let's talk about tears of the kingdom and how special it is hell yeah let's do it uh you go first brandon oh man what okay so the moment this game was announced which was 2019 but pretty much they'd been working on it since 2017, let's be real. Uh, right. It, it, it spun out of uh, DLC ideas that were originally for Breath of the Wild, and they obviously expanded on it into Tears of the Kingdom. I Since that initial t- trailer dropped, I had been hyped for this game, and I was anxiously awaiting it. And I want to say for the most part i didn't have any doubts that this was going to be a banger of a game but there was a moment that i i did think like well what if it's just like more of the same and it's just like it's just not as good as i expected it to be and i was clearly wrong this game is a fucking masterpiece it is insane what a technical achievement it is for the Nintendo Switch. The fact that this game runs at all on the Switch and runs... I, I, I'm sure there's some frame rate issues I didn't really notice, to be honest, but I'm sure they're there. But the fact that all the shit that they did, the fact that they were able to keep the underground area uh, a secret for pretty much the whole time until reviews started to come out, um, just everything that they... It, the attention to detail that they did with this game, the building, uh, all the crazy wacky shit that people have done with the building. Uh, I, I just, there's like, there's to me like this endless treasure trove of like all just the wacky, crazy shit that you can do in this game. Um, you know, is, is, is great. And there's some really, some of my favorite, like ever, story moments in a Zelda game happen in in this game that I don't want to talk about because it's just like so insane. Um I just like they really pulled out the stops and did some shit that I did not expect them to do. And I, you know, it's the game I spent the most time with this year. I put like 175 hours into it. Um I am already thinking about replaying it again. Uh you know, I'm a huge Zelda like 
it's like my bias is heavily showing because I'm a huge Zelda like fan. Like Zelda's my favorite series, but like game is absolutely just wall to wall incredible. Um, just I, it, it much like Baldur's Gate three is a game that I, I like thought about leading up to it and then thought about a lot after like for months like thought about it until Baldur's Gate like pulled me away um much like Alan Wake 2 is now a game that I'm like thinking about a lot and like is insane like, living year. inside my insane year yeah but fuck Tears of the Kingdom is good um and uh there's some moments where it gets a it gets a little hard uh but I won't I I've said I w- I need somebody else to speak on it for a bit. Uh Dylan, do you want to talk about your sort um, of sure, relationship? Sure, unless Ryan, unless you feel like uh you want to cut in next. Sure, you want me to go I or can you? Sure. Hop in here real quick. Yeah, um, go for slobber it. Slobber a little more on the knob of my man Link. Um I think Tears of the Kingdom is probably the most flawed game in my top 5. There are a lot of little issues I have with it, things that weren't fixed from Breath of the Wild, things that weren't improved from Breath of the Wild that were merely okay. All of it pales in the face of what this game accomplishes. The fact that I could spend 100 hours playing Breath of the Wild and scour its world from you know top to bottom, every nook and cranny, and then come back to what is largely the same world and have an even more mind-blowing time exploring that same world from top to bottom is unfathomable to me. I never could have dreamed that I would have this much fun walking around this Hyrule again. Everything feels different just enough. All of the new quests that have been added are more enjoyable to me than Breath of the Wilds. Better written, in my opinion, a lot of them, Much better written. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. this game's story still has some issues, and I think we'll talk about that when when Dylan gets his turn on the mic here. But I would say generally the quality of the writing is significantly better than Breath of the Wild, and even most Zelda games. I think what this game is doing thematically and narratively, while not nailing everything, I think it's swinging a lot harder than most Zelda games do, and it has a higher batting average as a result. Um, and just generally, my biggest impression of it is how brilliant these designers are at Nintendo. Not even from a technical perspective, but from a game design one. I had a, a, a session of this game where I played for probably six straight hours. Uh, this was the weekend that it released. And I just sat down and started playing and didn't get up until it was dark outside. And Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, definitely... I remember at one point when... Shortly before this, uh, or shortly after it launched, when like friend of the show Trevor Ickrath was like talking about going to see a movie or something, and I was like, I can't imagine doing anything with my free time right now <laughs> except play yeah. Tears of the Kingdom. And, and during uh, the six-hour session, I was like, all right, well, I want to get this quest done really quick, and then the way the game has you accomplish that quest led me into finding another quest, which led me into another quest, which led me into an entire new zone, which led me into a new boss fight, into another quest, and I was just naturally, by following the way the game was designed, finding so many exciting, interesting new things and mechanics and ideas that I was overwhelmed. I almost had to stop playing the game for a couple of days because I felt like 
I couldn't process how much fun I was having. And how, how smart every aspect of the game was. I, I was just blown away. I was playing a little mental exercise with myself today, which was, where would this game have ranked on my list if Breath of the Wild did not exist? If, like, the first time I was introduced to this kind of Zelda game and this version of Hyrule had been Tears of the Kingdom, like, in its complete form, right? Yeah. And I th I think I would have agonized and agonized over it, and it probably still wouldn't have taken Baldur's Gate 3 for me personally, but I feel like I would have been in, like, an extreme, extreme minority uh, for coming down on that way. Because it is, like, the feature-complete, full... Uh, it's the, it's like the 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 fulfillment of the promise of Breath of the Wild that we didn't even know wasn't a completely fulfilled. Well, we kind of did about things like dungeons or whatever, but in other ways, it it pushed it further in really exciting ways. And I want I don't want to talk as euphemistically. I want to talk about some specific things that I think are so impressive about this game. Um, Brandon, you mentioned the technical uh, aspect. The single most impressive thing about this thing to me is the rewind mechanic where somehow this physics engine that they've built for this game, which I will say is the best physics engine in the history of video games, and it's not close, uh, it can keep track of every actor in the world, every tiny little object, every enemy, and at a moment's notice, take one of them and rewind it back however it just moved, wherever it is on the world, doesn't matter. On this underpowered of hardware is, I, I don't even understand what's going on. It feels like magic to me. Uh, the other thing is that like the thing that I was kept wondering as we led up to this game and I was feeling fairly cynical about it, um, and like a little cautious, uh, was, am I going to come away from this feeling like there was six years of work here or am I going to come away feeling like, oh man, COVID really fucked up the workflow and, uh, this probably should have come out two years ago. And I really do think there's six years of work in this thing. And the, one of the main concerns I had was about reusing the world. It was never a problem. They always had something fun and cool and fresh to show me wherever I wandered in that world. It's much fuller and, uh, with things and, and ideas than, than Hyrule was in, in Breath of the Wild. In the trailer, I remember seeing Hateno Village and thinking like, boy, that sure looks like Hateno Village. And then you get to Hateno Village and it's it's there's this whole little story playing out there about fashion designers and, and agriculture and the way that they're clashing together and like it's it really feels like more of a real space with real people in it. And I also want to say I think the single most impressive to fuck around with thing in the game is the Zoni devices, which again come back to the robustness of that physics engine and all of the smart that's to me where the big pool of crazy Nintendo ideas lies in that game uh, because late into that game I was finding new Zonai devices that did crazy things that were like oh my god the things I could build with this now are going to be wild you know mm -hmm. um, so smart a lot of the puzzles they built around them I thought were really good um, and I thought the dungeons were like about as good as they needed to be. Um, the bosses generally were much, much better, I thought. Uh, the dungeons were like, you know, I wouldn't come away saying that the dungeons were a triumph, but they but they went as far as they needed to to feel like satisfying Zelda dungeons for me. Um, 
around where the where the where the problems start to show for me are are these thing these things that keep it kind of out of my own personal conversation of the very top experiences of the year. And remember, the only reason that this is even happening is like just how crazy and and singular of a year this was for the medium. Um, you know, in almost any other year, I you know these things would not be weighing heavily on my mind as I thought about where I was going to rank Tears of the Kingdom because it would just mm-hmm. be at the top of the list. Uh, so first of all, there's, there's this, there, there are a few big ideas in the new ideas mechanically in the game. One of them is the fusion system. I think the fusion system for me was kind of a bust. I thought it made, it made me have to tinker with weapons more than I wanted to be, as opposed to the kind of much simpler, uh, breath of the wild, use it till it breaks, pick up the next most, uh, powerful thing and use it till it breaks which you can still kind of do but if you want to be like really outputting your dps you got to kind of be like all right what can i put on this thing i never found playing around in those menus to be like an enjoyable experience for me likewise when i need to fuse something to an arrow and that giant stupid wheel of squares shows up i was always like is this really the best we can do and i know that they had a way to sort by most used which is like i guess the best way to make that not very good system work uh but it was still a pain in the ass whenever i was like oh but if i could put something on this arrow that would do this to it it could help me for this puzzle i probably have something like that let's dig for a while i guess um the other thing that i think doesn't quite pan out is sticking with the uh non-linear progression of the dungeons and the way that they tried to make that work accommodating it with the story definitely fell flat for me and i just think like this because what they do if you're a person who doesn't know what i'm talking about is like at the end of the big dungeon fights you get these cut scenes with uh they're not the champions whatever the people are the new champions whatever will beat and get some exposition but for some reason the way they chose to deal with that is to just give you the same exposition every time i guess so that you would have enough story if you didn't do everything or because they couldn't anticipate what order you were doing it in. But guys, I think the answer there is simple. You just have to do a little bit more work. You got to be a little, a little bit of a Larian about it. And you got to be like, okay, let's just make it. So no matter what dungeon you do, if you do it first, you get this information and we'll yeah, just do uh, a version of the cutscene that uses the characters in that. And if I, you do I it think- second, you get this information yeah. And I think the memories should have been handled that way too because I feel like the memories lead up to one of the craziest plot moments of that game. Uh, and it would have been, I think, better if the memories had been a, in a prescriptive order of what you learned from them regardless of when, which one you found uh, so that you could get that story as it comes. These are kind of the things that rattle around in my head. The the only other thing, and I'll let everybody respond to any of these who wants to, is that uh, the cleanup section in the game for me where I was like, okay, let me go get all the shrines now, what I've, I found was less fun than that section in Breath of the Wild. I, I thought there was a real glut of those uh, those shrines that are just like you walk in and get a chest and leave, and, and especially all the hidden ones and all the diamond ones being that those tended to be the ones that I had left over at the end. So it was just a lot of repetition and I guess it was to put more fast travel markers on the map since you had to account for caves and also the, the floating islands. But 
you know, honestly, those cave ones are not really effective fast travel markers because you'd have to travel up through the ceiling to get out into the overworld. Anyway, these are the little things that by the end of that game had me feeling like I'm not at a 10, but I can't deny that it's a really special experience. Mm -hmm. See, I think what is truly insane to me is that I agree with everything you just said, and I still think it's the best game ever made. I think that's fair. That's fair. If those big moments and those those triumphs are enough to carry you over the fence, I think that's valid. I think that's... Maybe compared to Breath of the Wild, the thing that I was happiest with um, is this game's endgame. I think the final sequences where you're facing the final bosses and the story oh, is so good. <laughs> really good. Is absolutely like maybe the best in any Zelda game. Yeah, I would say so. I think it's the best, like the whole gauntlet of things you do at the end of the game, probably the best the series has ever done. It's yeah. I, I that'll be what I remember. I won't like when I'm thinking back on Tears of the Kingdom in, you know, in three years, five years, ten years. I won't really be thinking about, you know, the fast travel oddities and some of the lamer shrines. I'll just be thinking about the major set pieces. I'll be thinking about, you know, the game design leading me from quest to quest naturally and how much better those quests were than Breath of the Wilds. Mm. I'll be thinking about the cool little ultra hand things I did and how much fun I had with all the different Zonai devices. And there's just, just no competition. It'll be... So many good memories outweighing the clunkiness of some of the menu navigation. Just, I can't, I can't say enough good things. Yeah, I, it's a real, a real triumph. Um, it, to me, eclipsed um, Breath of the Wild in every way. And like, now it's going to be, for me, kind of hard to go back to playing Breath of the Wild, despite the fact that I've played it seven times. Um you know, I think it'll get to a point where I man, I'd just rather just play Tears of the Kingdom and probably just play that. I need instead, Ultra but, Hand. I need to be yeah. able to grab the shit. Yeah, I need to. How I need are they to be able make to make a game without Ultra Hand after this. Well, well <laughs> you know they will. Uh, I I don't know. I just it's 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 incredible. This whole year has been incredible. Definitely one of the mm. best years in in gaming in a long long time like 2017 kind of comes close but it's it's I, I i'm pretty hard pressed to think of another year in recent memory that was just like so many bangers came out in in one year like i don't know like do you got like i guess compared comparatively like is there another year that you guys that maybe comes close to 2023 is is 2023 like the best year in gaming or one of the for best for me it is i think alan wake 2 baldur's gate 3 tears of the kingdom super mario wonder it's just like it's so crazy how different and also how phenomenal those experiences were yeah i would also call this the best year for um the release of video games because there's there were so many great games with so much variety in the type of game that they were that you can't play them all. Like, every year until now, I'd you know, be like, oh, maybe I'll pick up a game a month or so, and I felt like I had my fill. I felt like I played everything I wanted to play that year, and there weren't any really big missing... Like, I didn't play the new Street Fighter this year. I didn't play the new FromSoft game this year. There was so much coming out constantly, and all of it was totally. so good that it there's just no competition yeah yeah absolutely 
Um, guys, any any final thoughts uh, before we before we wrap up here? This is this has been a monster of an episode, so I'm excited. Three to, hours, to, three hours, I man. I've, I've gotta I've gotta make some some edits, uh, but. Uh, yeah, any any final put it thoughts? out. Let him experience it. Yeah, I say put let, it all out. Let it baby. fucking ride. Let it all hang out. Sure, sure. That's what every I moment do. of it compelling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I'd like to say, uh, I guess, would be every time somebody in the industry mentions how great the games were this year, they also mention that it's been a fucking nightmare for people who make games this year, and like. We're still in this really awkward place where devs are struggling to unionize and desperately need to. And uh, yeah, I feel for, um, you know, by all accounts, Nintendo, working at Nintendo is like not too bad of a grind. Larian is supposedly really nice to their people. Uh, but, you know, remember that the, that a lot of times the conditions of the people who are making these games are fucking terrible. And if you ever find yourself in a position to stand up for them or do anything for them, you should do it, especially if you love the content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, big time a lot of lot of layoffs happened this year, which is very very unfortunate. So, um, best, you know, best year for video games, worst year for video gaming. It feels like. yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I'm excited for the Game Awards, guys. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy. The Keelys. Uh, the old guards of Asgard perform live on stage. Oh, oh man! I, Do you think I, Sam Lake gets up there and does the dance? <laughs> I'd I shit. I'd be so I, excited. Uh, I listen. I I hope. I can only hope that that's what happens. But we'll have to just wait and see. But Ryan, Dylan, we did it. We made it to the end. Uh, oh man, what a gauntlet! Very, very much a gauntlet, but definitely I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm just man, I still love, man, I love video games. Milf, I love them. They're the, good, man. They're good. Yeah. Next year is gonna be a real, <laughs> a real different kind of years, guys. So yeah. enjoy this. Enjoy this. This fucking adrenaline buzz know. while Next it year lasts. Looks pretty stacked, at least right up front. I don't know, man. Next year, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. Yakuza, we, we got Tekken, Persona, Final Fantasy, Dragon's Dogma all dropping within three months. Yeah. yeah. So kind of a kind of a strong start, um, but we'll see. Uh, Nintendo seems mostly out of the conversation, aside from some a few games. Whatever's today, happening we'll in see. Nintendo is inside of a big mystery box for hey, now. Hey, yeah. Brandon. I think you're forgetting that Nintendo is remaking one of the most beloved and important oh. games they've ever released. Oh yes, Luigi's uh, Mansion Two. Yeah, no, they're no, bringing that. No, dude, <laughs> Dark I'm mode. talking about that another code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna play oh, that. Yes. I'm excited. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, I'll probably give it a give it a shot. Uh, I'm excited for Paper Mario, obviously, but uh, I'll pass. Maybe uh, Princess Peach will be cool. We'll see. That yeah, could be cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Dylan. Ryan, like, thank you guys again so much for for doing this with me. Uh, it was a real thanks for real the soapbox. We appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Hey, thanks uh, so much for having me on. I loved it. I love you. Yeah. I love, I love video games. Oh yeah. Um, is there anything that either of you would like to plug at the moment? Not really. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Bjarne Hoff. Uh, follow the network at. Oh wait, Indie I would Net. like to plug. Sorry, there is something I'd like <laughs> yep. to plug. I'd like to All plug right. a fuse into the breaker box in the basement of the retirement home. Uh, 
<laughs> in uh, uh, Bright Falls so that I can go back up and go into Cynthia's room and get the shit scared out of me. Can I do sure. that real quick? Well, while yeah. you're down in that basement, don't forget to watch the movie trailer for a 30-year-old movie starring your partner. <laughs> God, so fucking... Please play Alan Wake 2 if you have <laughs> play it. Play Alan Wake 2. Play. All right, Everybody go play Alan Wake 2. All right. As always, I've been Brennan Hoff. It's been New Nintendo Podcast XL. And remember, we don't have one more thing for you. Show me the champion.